0: And welcome to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast. Now, listeners today, this lady has been in the diary for a few weeks now, and I have been so excited, I can't wait to interview Jo. I would like to introduce you to this wonderful, wonderful lady, Jo Duckfield, who is a priestess, healer, mentor, medium, holistic practitioner, a wellness and spirituality consultant an all-round absolutely fantastic lady and she is wonderful i feel like i've known her all my life and previous lives and i think we're going to be connected forever now but anyway welcome joe
1: hi lovely how are you oh good
0: i am so so excited to do this interview I ever since we had it in the diary I can't wait I can't wait to do this me
1: too I've been full of it this morning and I I was saying to you just off air that my cat decided just as we were about to go on air to bring me uh a dead creature a little rat thing and um I am actually a rat in the Chinese astrology and it is about getting there and doing stuff. So I think it was bringing me a little bit of a sign that this is meant to be today. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. It's really fun to be here.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. I'm going to go straight into the first question. But mm. we found from some of the recent podcasts I've done, sometimes we veer off from the questions because not <laughs> I can see it's just... It, I see, do this the same way as I do the Serenity radio show. Literally, what comes into my head, I, I ask as a question. It's wonderful. I know, yeah. it's got a down there. So first of all, right then, can you describe your career path
1: to date, please? It was funny looking at this question because my life is kind of in two halves. So I always wanted to be a teacher from being a very little girl and I would um, set up classrooms in my bedroom and I was that organised as a child. I actually had all my books with library cards in them and they were always kept <laughs> in alphabetical order. So teaching was always a drive for me when I was little and I'd done nothing like it. I went, <laughs> I went to college. My family decided to move to Devon from Sussex. So I, ha- I left college um, and after a period of not having anywhere to live um, as a kind of 16, 17 year old, I ended up back down in Devon with my family and fell into a, into a job at the airport. So I started off as an export clerk and I was earning 100 quid a week, which I thought was amazing. And I learned to send things all around the world for businesses. So it's very corporate, very business led. And I loved it. And I'm an I'm a attention to detail person. And I kind of moved within that world for a few years until I met my husband and he was my boss. And this is a different transport company. And i was still sending stuff all around the world. And then a couple of other companies and was just getting really disillusioned with it. I ended up at a manufacturer's. They made anaesthetic equipment. And um, the last thing I said to my manager there was that she could shove my job up her backside because she was a bully and horrible. Yeah. And actually, that was the last corporate job I had. And I decided that then I would look for something that was around the teaching. So I then um, my husband was kind enough to say he'd support me through a teaching degree, which I then went and signed up for. And partway into that teaching degree, fell pregnant with my daughter. So nothing's ever gone straightforward for me. So I found the teaching and I was really good at it and I really enjoyed it. And I, my mum introduced me to somebody who, this is how life is, this is the way I describe life as it's, I see it as meandering rather than having these straight goals. I'll always go with where I'm taken and just see what I'm meant to learn from it. And so I was doing my degree in the day, um, had my daughter, And then I was working with adults with learning disabilities um, in the evening. So I was kind of like their entertainment. So I would take them out. I would support them if they wanted to go shopping. And I did that because it fitted in with being a mum. Came away from the degree and, um, yeah, focused on that. Being a mum, working with adults with learning disabilities, actually from home. So it was really flexible. And then one day we moved house. So we moved all the way from Devon to Somerset. And we bought this beautiful, big three-storey house. I mean, it costs a pittance compared to what you pay now. And I was going through, you know, when you're unwrapping things, and I was going through this box. Um, and I have to say, up until now, my working life ha- wasn't very fulfilling. wasn't I never got to, to go and do the full-time teaching in the way that I wanted to. I was feeling a little bit lost. Who was I? What did I want to be? But there was still that teaching thing there. And so I'm unwrapping things when we've moved house. So we then moved from Charge to where I am now in Broadway. I'm at Angel Cottage. I live now. So I'm unpacking stuff at Angel Cottage. Charlotte's three by now. So she's still only little. And there was a bit of the newspaper had an advert on it. And it said house parent at boarding school. And something just went through me. You know, the goosebump thing. And my crown just started to, to buzz. Because I have to say that since I was a little girl, I've seen spirit. I've seen angels. I've seen spirit. I felt energy. So this wasn't a new thing for me to get a validation in my body. And I read this advert and I put it to one side. A couple of days later, I went and picked it back up again. And it just said, email this particular lady at the school. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to get this job. I've got no experience. But I'm going to give it a go. Something's telling me to give it a go, right? So I sent an email and they emailed me straight back and I got an interview, went to the school, had an interview with the headmaster who interviewed me in pajama bottoms and a T-shirt while he was playing on a grand piano. And offered me the job there and then and also said that Charlotte could come to school with me um, to work on the weekends because I was going to be there more or less six or seven days a week, um, staying the night for three, but working there seven days a week. And obviously having a little one. And, you know, I did offer to work more nights, but he says, you never get this time back, Joe. You've got this little girl, but you can bring her into work. He was a lovely man, the headmaster. Um, Really quirky, which not unlike myself. And so I kind of ended up in this job, which I must say, my first night there was the most horrendous night of work I've ever had in my life. And the girls are looking after they ate me alive. And I would I went to bed crying most nights when I worked there because it was just so stressful. And they were they had all been in boarding school for a bit of time. You know, by now they're like year nine, so they're kind of like 13. Um and they knew how to work the system, they knew how to work the adults that looked after them. But there was this one turning point where I thought to myself, if this carries on like this, I'm leaving. I'm obviously not cut out for it, even though I loved it and I and I loved the children I was working with. This one night the girls had been particularly awful to me and really awful. And I'd had to to leave the room I was in. And because I was crying, I just felt so overwhelmed by it. And I just didn't know how I was gonna earn their respect enough for them to respect me back. It just felt like a brick wall. And I went to my room and I had a knock on the door, and it was two of the girls who were kind of like the alpha females of the of that group. And I said to them, I said, it's a real shame that you're treating me like you are. I said, because I probably would be the best house parent you've ever had. And I said, you've you've wasted that. I said, I'm, I'm done. We're done. Nothing. No job's worth this. And that was it. I said goodnight to them all, settled them all down, went to my room and wrote my resignation letter. I thought, I'm obviously not cut out for this. It's just not worth it. And from the next day, the next morning, everything changed. And they I think they'd cottoned onto the idea I wasn't like the other adults that had looked after them. I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna be someone who just I mean, I did have to raise my voice at them sometimes when they were kicking off, but I wasn't I was fair, that's the way to put it. And they would describe me as firm and fair, I'm sure they would. And I gained their respect and I stayed at the school and I ended up I used to look after the little ones. So I looked for, after all the age groups from seven right up to 18. And there was one day when the headmaster comes to me and he said, Joe, I'm moving you from the year nines and I'm going to put you to the top of the school. You're going to look after the big girls. And I just absolutely crapped myself. I thought, I can't look after the teenagers, like 15 to 18. I thought, Christ, I'm not coping with 13 year olds. Some How am I going to deal with the big ones? And I said to him, I can't do that. You can't put me up there. I won't be able to do that. And he said, Joe, you will be able to do it. He said, because all girls at that age want is someone to listen. And he said, you're really good at listening. And I thought, do you know what? He's right if I look at it like that. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't hell when I first went up there, because it was. They, they, it's like this, like this rite of initiation. You have to prove to them that they can trust you. And you have to prove to them that you're going to do what you say you're going to do, that kind of thing. So I ended up staying at the school for a decade, actually. And I realised that it wasn't teaching that I wanted to do, it was nurture. Because when I'd been doing my teacher training, you weren't allowed to put your arm around a child, you couldn't nurture a child, you couldn't really speak with a child in that way. It was about targets and about Ofsted and about... And that wasn't where my heart was, but I found this place and this job being as a house parent that just filled me up with joy. It was amazing. And I and the children were my glue. And I worked with some very difficult people. I was bullied for a time in that job. And it was very a very strange environment to work in a boarding school. And I can say all of that because none of it's there anymore. It's all dissolved and the business doesn't even exist. Um, but the children were my glue. And I've promised the girls that had made me cry, actually, I promised them that I would stay with them until they left school. And we all left the same year. So um, when they left, I left. But the reason that I left and um, you asked about my career path was that eight years, nine years, eight years into the job, um, I lost my sight and went completely blind overnight. My retinas had detached. I didn't know why at the time that had happened. And I was working at the school, like I say, with all the older girls at the time. I was really doing well at my job. I'd lost loads of weight. I was really fit. I was in a really, really good place in my life. And I suddenly lost my sight and um, ended up without being able to see for a year. And actually, I didn't have very much sight for four years. So this was 2009 that this happened. And actually, I didn't get a pair of glasses and kind of like that feeling that I could live properly until 2013. And I, my last operation was 2016. So you can see it's still, it, it's not anymore, but it was, it's not something that just went away. So I ended up having nearly 12 months off of work. And they really supported me. They were great. I would get the girls phoning me at home and I would get the new house parents that were looking after the girls phoning me at home and asking me if I could talk to the girls and ask them to behave. And I would get the housemaster phoning me and saying, If you've been bribing these girls, what have you been doing to these girls to make them behave? Because they're being an absolute nightmare for the new woman. And but of course the girls were fed up that I wasn't there and I'd been there constant and with with young people you've got to have clear boundaries they won't put up with being talked down to or disrespected yeah. so yeah I was I couldn't see I'm all bandaged up and I'm talking on the phone giving advice to another house parent who's trying to contend with the girls that I love so much so it was a it was an interesting time but I, like I said I had nearly a year off return to work which was quite hard my confidence had gone they demoted me so my role had changed because they'd had to to reorganize things for the year. And it was a real knock to my confidence. And actually the balance of how things were working at the school wasn't very healthy. It had become quite toxic. New owners, the lovely headmaster had gone. It had become about money rather than about family. And I thought, you know, what else could I do? And during the time that I couldn't see, I'd had lots and lots of very, very deep spiritual experiences where I'd connected with what I believe was my guide and my angels. And they told me how things were going to go with my health. They told me how things were going to go with my well-being. They told me how to heal myself. And so that spirituality and that connection I'd had all my life suddenly became something tangible and something big in my life. And like the universe does, it brings you the right teachers at the right time. And I was actually going to a slimming club. And I met a medium there, and she, all she taught me really overall was how to open up and close down to spiritual energy. And as a medium, that is your lifesaver, because if you are open all the time, it's, it's, it's like a leaky tap. You know, you, you're, you're losing energy all the time. You need to know how to open and close. And she taught me that, and it literally transformed my world. So from being this dripping tap and constantly leaking energy, I was now controlling when I connected with spirit, how I connected with spirit, how much I connected with spirit. And all of that had happened literally months before I lost my sight. So it meant that when I lost my sight and I was getting these communications, I knew how to control it better. So the upshot of that is I'm at the school. I was actually crying on the way to work because I did not want to be there in the end. Not because of the children, because of the people I work with and the conditions we were working under. I just didn't want to be there. And my husband said to me, well, why don't you set up your own business doing readings? And that horrified me. I spoke to some friends who said, "Joe, you'd be so good because I've been giving friends and family tarot readings since I was 16 you know and this you know and I'm 37 at this point that this happened and I'd done a few tarot readings for strangers and they'd always gone really really well and I'd had spirit messages all my life but whether I gave them or not was a different thing so I'm at this tipping point where I had a choice to either look for another job and go and find something else to do or to follow my heart and go with what my gifts were showing me So I made an exit plan. I call it an exit plan. So I decided that I would use my gifts. And when I was earning as much from that as I was from the school, I would then leave the school because I knew then I could cover our family bills and all the rest of it, or my part of them. So I went and trained in Indian head massage. I went and trained in Thai foot massage, Ayurvedic massage. I attended development circles to sharpen up my mediumship. And I started doing um, healings. Um, I trained in Reiki. Started doing healings and treatments here and readings. And before I knew it, I was eclipsing what I was earning at the school. And I was in a position to have my notice in, which I duly did. And um, that was 2013 I left the school. So I'd been doing for about a year my own business. and. Spirit promised me this because I'd made a promise to them if they would let me see, I would the rest of my life, I would work for them and I would heal and I would help other people and I would work for spirit. And that was a solemn promise. And so they said to me, When you do this full time, when you take that leap, we will make sure that you always have enough. They never told me they'd make me a millionaire or the word was enough, you will have enough. And to me, that was okay, that was good. And they've never reneged on that promise. I, I left the school. I never looked back. It was one of the best days of my life. I remember standing by the boarding house. All the girls had gone by then. They'd all left and they'd gone on their, the next part of their journey. And we were getting to the end of the school year. And I was stood on this bit of grass waiting for my husband to collect me because one of the downsides of what happened with my sight is my eyes aren't good enough for me to drive. So I have to have my lovely husband show for me. So I was just stood there with my little suitcase waiting for my husband to come and get me. And my guide said really loudly in my head, he said, have a look around Joe, make sure you look at everything. He said, because you will not be coming back. And he he said to me, and the school won't be here in a few years time. You'll see that everything here will be gone as well. And he was spot on. It was my last day. I never went back. I never looked back. And, you know, that is where I'm at now is I work for myself and I have since 2013. And I I love every day that I am alive. And I every day I thank my my abundant universe for my perfect sight and for the opportunities that I've got. But yeah, so now I, my career path is that I am a holistic healer. I'm a priestess healer. I, I trained at the Goddess Temple in Glastonbury. I'm a, I'm a really experienced medium. Um, I have all the Clare gifts, so I can see, feel, hear, know, and understand spirit. And this isn't just something I talk about. My healing and my, my connection to spirit is my life. I'm not, I'm not somebody who dips in and out. My job isn't a separate thing from me. My vocation and my work is who I am. It's, it's my life. So that was a long way of explaining it, but that's where I am. Absolutely
0: wonderful. It's, I mean, listeners, you can see why I've asked this special lady to actually join us. I've got goosebumps. I've got my crown chakra going off and everything you're saying. When you said that your spirit guide spoke to you, when you were waiting on the steps, all my crown lit up, literally, and I was thinking, yes, yes, yes. It's just
1: you're fantastic you
0: really are fantastic
1: (laughs) what happens is when we have those feelings in our body and especially when our crown does that thing of where it'll tighten up or it'll tingle it's it's different for everybody but around the back of our head here like where our skull joins the top of our spine is our causal chakra and the causal chakra is where our guides communicate into and it's where we receive divine light And so when we're listening to someone else's story or someone is telling us something that resonates, we get that validation by the feelings in our body because all the energy we receive goes into our central nervous system and our central nervous system has to process it and it gives us a kind of um, a somatic experience, a physical experience. And so, yeah, that's your inbuilt kind of bullshit detector. You know, when you're hearing something which is true, then your body will show you. Your body will show you. (laughs) Um,
0: It's it's wonderful. I am so excited. I could talk to you all day long and learn all these different things. (laughs) And that's something I say to the listeners. I forgot to say first thing now, make sure you've got pen and paper ready when you're listening to everything because Joe will share so much information. You need to make sure that you write it all down Uh, or come back and listen to the podcast again and again, because you will pick up different things. Different things will speak to you depending on, on your, the way you're receptive on that day and certain things. And it will suddenly click and think, yes, that's what I needed to hear today. So mm. absolutely, absolutely. I'd be the same. Yes. Yeah. I've got to move on to the next question. Let's see. But it's, oh, it's absolutely wonderful. I say thank <laughs> you. Thank you. This is wonderful. Thank you. Great. Can you name three things that made you choose your current career and why? I know you've probably touched on it. but Yeah, just, specifically three just, to,
1: just to reiterate, my eyes were the biggest catalyst because when I reflected back about that, um, and I don't say this lightly, um, when I lost my sight, there were bits of my life I didn't like very much. Obviously, I wasn't enjoying that job very much my relationship my husband was in one of those points we've been married 26 years and marriages go up and down and things happen and you go through struggles and we are the best of friends and we always have been but at that time our marriage was going through a really um, stressful time and I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue with the marriage so again there was something else that I didn't like the look of and when my eyes went I, like I said, I don't say this lightly. It was one of the biggest gifts I was ever given because when you are in the dark, you see everything. You get clarity. You can hear better. You can feel better. All of your other senses increase. In fact, even now I have bat-like hearing and sensing. Um, I was in the dark. I was alone. I'd never ever really been alone like I was alone then. No one could understand my world and how it looked. I had to do something called posturing. So my first operation was nine hours long and they told me about, I think it was the day before I had the operation, they said to me it was less than 1% chance I'd ever see again. The condition I have is one in 5 million people. And he told me it was going to be like peeling chewing gum off of tissue paper that shouldn't build my that were the words he used I shouldn't build my hopes up he was going to do his best because I was so young and I had a seven-year-old daughter but that I needed to realize that it was very very unlikely that I would see and that I needed to get my affairs in order and when someone tells you that affairs in order thing I fell to the floor it did I fell to my knees it was excruciating I had gone from being a vibrant strong person with ambition and drive and somebody who enjoyed their life even though there were bits I didn't like the look of to having everything taken away my power my strength my freedom my life because if I wasn't going to be able to see I would what I thought to myself I'm going to be a disabled person the rest of my life my husband's going to have to care for me and I actually said to him the day, I think it was the day before my operation, I said, do you know what? If you feel like leaving me, if you want to go, then it's okay because you didn't sign up to be a carer. You didn't sign up to be a carer. And, of course, he he just totally told me to be quiet in a in a not-so-polite way. And But that's how I felt. You know, I felt very – I was very supportive, but I felt very alone because – There's nowhere to go. And by the time I spoke to the doctor, by the way, because my eyes had, although my sight had gone, it was like the middle of my sight that had gone. But then through the day, when I woke up in the morning, I had about an inch at the top of my eyesight. But through the day, that disappeared. So by the time I spoke to the doctor, I was virtually in black. I mean, I I didn't even think they'd be able to save my sight. But something in me said that this wasn't going to play out how I thought it was going to play out. There was this hope in me. Even when he said about the operation, there was something in me that told me it was going to be okay. There was something in me that said there was hope. And some people might say I was in denial. In fact, a few people did tell me they thought I was in denial. But I just had this hope and I decided that I would focus on that and that I'd focus on seeing my daughter's face again, which was actually all I cared about. Um and I focused on that. So the next morning when I went into hospital, I was booked in at seven o'clock and I went straight in because they knew it was going to be an all-day operation. And my amazing amazing surgeon, Mr. Ling, which I'll come to later, but um he was incredible actually and so compassionate and so kind. And I knew, I just trusted him. I just trusted him. I, I asked my angels to help him do his best and help him to, to follow what he felt he should do. And I just trusted, and it's hard to put that across, that there was fear in being in the dark, but I wasn't frightened of the outcome. And that probably sounds like a bit of a contradiction, but whenever anyone's going in for a really long operation like that, there's a certain amount of fear and there's the unknown and something in my head was saying what if my eyes pop or what if you know you just don't know what's going to happen but i had this faith that ultimately i'd be all right so i had this long operation so by the time i came out it was evening obviously and this was january so it was dark and they'd put me in this um they'd put me in this cubicle on a geriatric ward which was meant to be quieter which wasn't and they sit you in this chair, which is like one of these armchairs you get in old people's homes. And in front of me, I have something called a posturing chair or a posturing stand. And it looks like a padded loose loo seat. And it's facing downwards like that. And you put your face in it. I know your listeners can't hear, but if you imagine someone putting their face into a toilet seat, so you're 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 facing downwards, so it's like you're laying down, but your face is suspended in this facial traction basically and i was to stay in that for 23 hours a day i was allowed 10 minutes off an hour for the loo my eyes i couldn't see they were i'd had um, silicon bands sewn into my eyeballs i'd had my eyeballs emptied of the jelly in your eyeball they'd filled them with water they'd injected me with gas into my eyeballs so to try and explain the pain is not easy, but imagine. So my eyeballs actually, and they'd done my right eye first because I wouldn't have coped having both done at the same time. So it's my right eye was the focus. My left eye was already um, clinically blind anyway from before the ret- detachment, so I couldn't see anything out of that. And the right eye had been squished. If you think of how a dumbbell looks, so skinny in the middle and bits pointing out at yeah, the end, that's what my eyeball was basically made to be like with this band because it pushed it against the retina. So I'm sat in this chair. I I'm mean, I'm, I couldn't cope. I had a really bad reaction to the anesthetic. So I couldn't cope with um, taking anything like codeine. They could only really give me paracetamol. So I didn't even have the luxury of being drugged up on anything. So I'm, I'm just focused. And I had one of the really old fashioned iPods and I had cl- uh, classical music on it. I'm face down. It's dark. There's a sign up on the curtain I found out from my husband after that said do not disturb. So the nurses were only coming in literally to check on me. I was left alone. So by now it's probably midnight or so. And I started to pray and I'm not religious at all. Um, It's making me feel emotional sharing. And I don't often share this, this experience with many people. It's very, very limited because... I don't feel like that's who I am now. So it's like talking about somebody else. But now I feel like I am talking about me. And I prayed and I prayed that I would see my daughter's face again. I prayed that I wouldn't be this burden to my family. I just wanted to see something, even if it was light or dark. I just didn't want to be in the dark for the rest of my days. I, I, I just didn't. And so I continued to pray. And something happened something extraordinary happened to me I'd called to angels I didn't know if I ever really believed in angels I always thought they were something that was used in religious circles to kind of soothe those that were suffering Um, but this very moment I saw this light and bearing in mind I'm completely in the dark I can't see a thing this light came and it came from behind me and it was one of the brightest lights you've ever seen. It was like sunlight. It would be like you looking into the sun, but it was all coming from behind me. There was no warmth with it. It's just this light. And I was taken aback because I thought I wasn't able to see anything. And I'm thinking, has something gone wrong? Has something come attached, unattached that what's happened? It's, you know, there was this confusion. And then I heard this voice and the voice told me to not worry don't be frightened and it was a gentle male voice not one I recognized and he told me that my faith was well placed that I should have hope that things will be okay that it was going to take four years but I would see again and I would see my daughter again and he went on to describe how to heal myself what that would look like, how that would feel, what I had to do every day, what I could think about doing every day, the people that I could trust and the people I needed to find. He talked about my surgeon. It went on, I think it felt like about an hour, but it was probably three minutes, but it felt like forever. And he gave me all this information. And when he was telling me, so I'm saying to you about the feelings in your body, my hands lit up, they went hot. My crown lit up. I had throbbing in my eyes. um, And they showed me what it would feel like to channel healing energy to myself. And then he just asked me to trust. He said, just trust us. We've got you. We love you. We've always loved you. We'll always love you. Just trust. Please trust us. And And the light subsided and the voice faded away. And I only had classical music on my iPod. But as the light faded, let it be from the Beatles came on. And even now that's a theme tune to me because that's exactly what he told me to do was to let it be that I just had to, I just had to accept what was happening to me. I had to accept that this was for my greater good. I had to accept that there was magic and healing in the darkness and that I had to learn what true hope was. And that song kind of encapsulated that and that experience is what completely changed my life I made a promise to him then that and he didn't ask for me to make a promise by the way it was my offering I said if this comes true if you help me if you show me how to heal myself I promise I will use those healing energies and abilities and I'll use my gifts then help others for the rest of my life just please let me see Charlotte again that's all I ask and so the bond was made the contract was sealed and the next year was not as bad as you'd think I couldn't see and I had to posture for six months like that face down for 23 hours a day I didn't sleep in a bed for six months I slept on the sofa sat up um, my lovely cat Nelson, who's since passed away, stayed with me twenty-four-seven all the way through and healed me. And I know he and he actually only had one eye himself. He was a rescue cat, and I know he was sent to to help with my healing and support me. And actually I knew that he would pass away my my Nelson. I knew he would pass away once I'd given been given the clean bill of health. And he died within a week of them telling me that I didn't need to come back every three months anymore, I could come back every year. He passed away within a few days because his job was done. Um, I have his ashes in here with me actually in my room. We're gonna we're gonna be together forever, me and Nelly. So there's a there's a thing that people do in indigenous cultures in South America, where they take the children that they believe are gifted, they take those that they think will be the future shamans and medicine men and women, and they take them to a cave in the darkness and they have custodians and they have other people of their tribe that take care of them, but they're not allowed to leave the cave until they're an adult. And the reason they put them in the darkness is so that all of their senses and their abilities sharpen. And it's about their sensitivity to spirit. And I do believe that that time I spent unable to see and completely vulnerable and completely, um, no control over my life. I was, I was, I, I was alone. That, that was my initiation. I forgot all of the shitty things that I'd maybe done, that it made me face them. It made me forget about all of those things I'd been holding on to in my life where I'd had, I don't know, bitterness or regret or guilt or shame. It it made me face my shadow, so it made me look at times where maybe I hadn't been such a nice person, where maybe I had been unreasonable. There was no place to hide in the dark. You, You had to face it all. And one thing that I'll say is that when I was going through that, you would have an operation, and they would say to you, we don't know if this is going to work, we won't know for three months, so you'd have another operation. I actually ended up having 64 hours of surgery on that eye and four, 400 laser procedures on that eye and each time I wouldn't know whether it had worked so my resilience was growing because I just trusted what spirit had told me, I trusted what I was feeling in my body and so my res- like I say my resilience grew and my ability to hold on to hope because when, when you are going through something where you have no control which I had none or so I thought um you have to be able to hold on to hope you have to be able to keep going and it's the same with anything when you're facing life's life's experiences where you don't know what the outcome is going to be well then you have to decide what you want the outcome to be and you have to set your intention for where you're going to be at the end of this and you have to hold on to that and it's not about being in denial it's not about not facing the truth Because ultimately, you can create a different outcome for yourself if you focus on what your intention is for that outcome. And I did not, there was one day where I lost hope. And I'd had an operation where it should have helped me to see, and it didn't work. And I'd been to the hospital, and they'd checked my eyes, and we knew it hadn't worked. And I'd come home, and my husband used to read to me at bedtime because I'm a real avid reader, but of course, not being able to see, I couldn't read. So he read books to me at bedtime to help me. And I did cry that one day. I I lost hope for an evening. <laughs> but the next day I was back on it again and I realized that I wasn't going to let the doctors tell me whether I would see it or not. Because at this time they were very negative or realistic, whichever way you want to put it. But I decided, no, I'm going to have a good outcome. They promised me. This is just another bit of a learning curve. And yeah. And I'm luckily I was I was gifted my sight back I was I was allowed to see again so I know that's a massively long answer but yeah that that my eyes is what shaped that and of course spirit and of course my gifts and that's why I'm where I am now because I can't be any other I can't be anything other I I I have to hold my, my, my blessings and how I was gifted this perfect, well, I haven't got perfect sight compared to you. i probably got 60% in my left and about 90% in my right. And, yeah, I have a struggle seeing faces sometimes and I can't see in the dark whatsoever. And I can't read in the way that I used to be able to. It's a bit harder. But you know what? That's nothing because I can see the sky and I can see my daughter's face and I can see the trees and I can I can read, although it's a bit harder, and I can see things, but they're all in the way that I see them. It's within my world and it doesn't matter. I I I'm in the world and I've got my sight. And so I call it my perfect sight because for me it is my perfect sight. Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh, look at me. I've got tissues. You oh bless you. You are the most Beautiful, special, wonderful lady I have ever met in my life.
1: Oh, what a lovely Apart, thing to
0: say. I've got tears, and I say to the listeners, you will need tissues. That is such a motivational story,
1: as well. I've, I've never told it like that. I've never shared that publicly in the way that I just have with you because you make me feel safe. You hold space, you hold space so beautifully, and I felt
0: completely safe sharing that with you.: Thank you. Thank you. You are absolutely wonderful. And I'll say to the listeners, Joe has already agreed to do a regular podcast with us, and the stuff we're going to learn. You are absolutely wonderful. as you described everything, I could feel it with you, and yes. My crown chakra is going off like (laughs) it was going off the whole time you were saying and it is I could feel every single thing and I will always, always be there for you. Always.
1: You you thank
0: you. You are so special. And to the listeners, I told you this was gonna be a brilliant. Oh. Oh, this is oh oh look at me it's just so, so <laughs> Love you. special it's there are just no words it's just
1: feeling it's it's just... an odd thing though isn't it because you own your story and you're experiencing it and, and and like you I I speak to people as you know on my show um with serenity I talk to people that have overcome really difficult things and I you just are in awe of them you just stand back and it's it amazes me how resilient human beings can be, but weirdly I don't think of myself in that way. So telling my story today is very odd because I don't put myself in that category at all.
0: You are so strong. You are so so strong.
1: I am strong. I'll admit that. I am strong. I think I get that from my from my grandmother. She was a very, very stubborn, strong lady. Yeah, I I give her credit for that
0: but you have the support mm. of wonderful, wonderful family. Your
1: husband is... He's incredible. He was just so... And actually, whereas I'd been thinking about maybe not being in this marriage before, I literally days leading up to losing my sight, do you know, the first day I come home, because I was in the hospital for quite a while, as you can imagine, after having that operation, and then they let me come home and they didn't, we'd been sent home with one of these posturing things. you were allowed to bring the posturing stand, the facial traction thing home. But they weren't knowing what to expect. My husband and daughter, they didn't know what to expect. And they set me up in bed upstairs, but you couldn't sit like that and posture. And I had a bit of a panic when I got home. And because I was like, they said, I won't see if I don't do the posturing, then I definitely won't see. You know, they basically said, if you don't do the posturing, you won't see. You have to do it. So it's pushing that retina flat. And so I, I got a bit panicky about I had to do it. I was worried because I'd already driven home, but I'd, have to, I'd had to drive home posturing. I'd had to sit with my head face down, even in the car. And we ended up finding the best place on the sofa and then suddenly realised that although I knew my own home, because obviously you move around your own home at night, so you can, you can navigate it in the dark a little bit. <clears throat> I couldn't easily use the loo because I couldn't navigate my spatial awareness had gone because at this point it's only been about a week that I haven't been able to see and my spatial awareness hadn't properly kicked in because I've been in hospital so he had to help me go to toilet you imagine I know this sounds really gross but like you go to the toilet you know that you've cleaned yourself after going to the loo properly because you you can see the loo roll, I'm not being gross, but it's a fact. But you haven't even got those basic human things. You've got to have someone help shower you. You've got to... I'm taking my tablets. I couldn't do on my own because I wouldn't have known what the tablets were. I can't see them. Um, you can't. You can't do anything for yourself at first when you can't see. It's the most vulnerable, scary place. And I was so cross with myself when I would knock things or hurt myself or. And so, yeah the the um, the whole the whole thing of my husband was that he he held me. He he believed too. He, you could ask him. He he never had one thought in his head that I wouldn't see. We both held that 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 intention of me seeing again, and he did everything for me. The man was looking after a daughter who was seven years old. I don't have family nearby, so we didn't have family to rely on. Jason's family are in Wales, so they couldn't help us. We relied on our neighbours who were fantastic, but mainly Jason was doing everything. So he's working a full-time job. He was looking after Charlotte and he was caring for me, was my main carer. The boy was amazing. And, you know, it made me realise what a mistake it would have been if I had thought about walking away. You know, what an idiot I would have been. This man was just incredible. Yeah. And I wouldn't have got through it without him. I wouldn't have. It's as simple as that. wouldn't
0: have your story is so enlightening special everything we can all learn something from that as well and every little bit you say I think to the listeners definitely for myself I can see bits of me in it it brings it brings in things I mean my mother was a type one diabetic And it had run in her family from her mother's side. She lost her brother at a very young age. Uh,
1: Oh, that's awful.
0: Because they didn't know. But she always said, my dad was in the army and he'd go away. He was on Christmas Island. He was testing the H-bombs and everything. (laughs) And he, my mum used to ask to have something that would bring my dad home to her. And, and she said, she said that's how she got diabetes. She said she didn't want something that could see that people could see was physically wrong with her, but she wanted something that would be bad enough to bring my dad home. And her diabetes was was bad. I mean, both me and my sister, we were taught to give her glucose injections from when we were seven years old. Because wow. her control wasn't good at all. And I know it's nowhere near the same, but when I hear
1: your It is the same, isn't it? It's that vulnerability and she was she was manifesting something to change her life and it was and that's how illness happens, isn't it? Yeah. We somatise it, we, we we create it, not all of it, of course, but sometimes we make our bodies more susceptible to, to changes. We do.
0: Yeah. It works
1: both ways. It works positive and negative.
0: And mm. then there's so many things, and again, I mean, you and I talk regularly, Joe, and we can see we've come together for so many reasons. That as you share this story, and I'm going to say my S-word synchronicities. I say it all the time. <laughs> there are so many synchronicities within our lives, and I'm getting goosebumps again. And the crown, yeah, it's. I am so grateful that you came into my life. And I'm, oh, me too. I'm, I'm glad, glad you came. I'm fine. I, and to the listeners, I told you this lady is special. This this is the most special episode I've ever done. It really oh. is. And I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry oh. because it just means <laughs> so much. And I am so so grateful I feel humbled that you're sharing so much with us because you can light up anyone's life every little bit that you're oh what
1: a lovely thing to say thank you very much it's just it's it's just I can't
0: I don't know how to actually put it in words properly but it is so special and the moments we're sharing with this and the fact that it's recorded as the podcast, the listeners can hear this over and over again. And I know every time I hear this, I'm going to cry because you oh. are special. You are so special. special.
1: Don't I don't cope with it. You know what I'm like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's just wonderful. I'm going to try and bring this together. I'll go and move yeah, on to
1: your questions. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, oh! You are so enlightening. You really, you really are. It's it's just fantastic. And let's put my glasses back on so I can see what my questions. <laughs> <laughs> now, what are the key? What key values does your business offer you? Now you're so special. Already you've shared so much. But can you name? Key values that
1: you're... yeah I can do this quite quickly actually my the first value is community because what I've done with my business is I've always gone above and beyond with time above and beyond with connection so I've built up a really amazing community and I have I'm I just feel blessed every day for the people that support me that have shared my work with their loved ones and friends so it's community is one of the biggest things. And I love being one of those people that others rely on, that others reach to when they're going through shit. Sorry to swear. Um, that others go to when they're feeling vulnerable and that people know they're safe here with me. I hope I'm safe harbour for people. The other one is healing because whether it be doing mediumship, whether it be doing mentoring, coaching, the bespoke sessions that I do with healing, whether it be teaching, I want it to all be healing. I want it to, it's that value of helping people to become whole and that you can help them to find who they really are and to trust their inner light, to trust their inner power. And the other one is hope, that no matter how difficult it is, no matter what you've been told to expect or what you've been told is going to be your outcome, no matter how dark it gets, there is always, always, always hope. And that isn't about being in denial. That's not about being fanciful or tricking yourself. It's about even in the darkest moment. So let's say I hadn't got my sight back there was still hope in my life, there was still amazing people in my life, there still would have been incredible opportunities and yes it would have been tough but you know I would have, I know I would have found hope there somewhere, I know I would have because we have to because that's the currency that keeps us going when everyone else says we can't, it's the currency that helps us get through trauma, it's the currency, the hope is the currency that moves us forward even when our feet won't move and so yeah my the three values is community healing and hope and for those reasons
0: and you give all of that you know, that is absolutely wonderful it really is and you can't ask for more from anything when you've got all that you know you're going to deliver in every single aspect and that your clients, your customers are going to be happy. And to the listeners, I told you, you need a pen and paper. And this lady is so, so special. And I know you're all going to want to work with her. Everything about her is fantastic. Really, really is. Bless you. I'm now going to move on to the next question. I throw this in, but just to change things up. Yeah, cool. But what keeps you awake at night?
1: God, I had to really think about this. Because, one, I'm going through the menopause, so my bloody hormones keep me up at night. But, anyway. <laughs> but um, the things that keep me up and at, at night are spirit. So um, spirit do connect with me at night. I do tend to... Um, When I go to bed is my time when I tend to send out healing to different people during the day because that's my quiet time. My love for others keeps me awake because I like to think about all my blessings and all the amazing people in my life and I sit and I send them prayers or healing because the awakening process isn't something that just happens to you once. We are awakening all the time so people think they're going to go through an awakening and then they're going to go through some kind of ascension and they're going to pass through these doors and then they've made it um no I'm here to tell you that's not correct um my experience is that we will be awakening until we go home what I mean by that is we transition to wherever you believe we go to whether it be heaven or the spirit world or so what keeps me up at night is my love of others my my connection to spirit I just love to be in that space and they do wake me up at odd hours to be fair but I'm tuned in I'm I'm awake and so I feel things deeply and I don't mind that in actual fact I find that kind of three to four o'clock in the morning if I do wake up I will get out of bed and I'll go look out the window and have a look and see where the moon is or just listen to what's happening outside because I live in the countryside so there might be the odd deer or the odd fox badger whatever um but I don't tend to worry about things because I have processes of dealing with that in the day so it's just thinking about others and filling myself with the blessings that are around me that tends to fill me up and light me up and that keeps me awake
0: but <laughs> that, yeah, that. That is wonderful. And yes, in so many levels, I can relate to all of that. And I'm sure a lot of the listeners can. I mean, yes, I've, I'm of a certain age where, yes, I do wake up and I think, oh, I'm hot, <laughs> why am I hot? <laughs> so yes, I can relate yeah. to that. And currently, because everything I'm doing, I love since connecting to you, connecting the other wonderful presenters on Serenity Radio and really learning where my true purpose is and where... Absolutely. I'm I'm so excited. I used to have like, yes, I have a routine as I go to bed and there's certain meditations I put on and I listen to to fall asleep. Some nights I can do that. Other nights I'm so excited. I have to turn everything off and just sit up and carry on with the messages and speaking to you it's my guides that I'm only learning about they're giving me so many downloads I have to sit up and take notice and make notes so that I know going forward so yes yeah. I can relate to everything you say I've got almost that I say this practice before I go to bed and I ask the guides to help me to help me download what I need to do and show that I'm moving forward for where they need me to do to be and to help with my purpose and what I'm here to help people to do.
1: And and during, during dream time is, um, you know, our sleep is super important on all different levels, physiologically, spiritually. So we, we do need that deep proper sleep, but actually what your guides will do and your angels if you set an intention before you fall asleep for what you need, so mine is normally healing. Um, but if so it's been bothering me in the day, or if I've been struggling with something, that's when I will say to them, while I'm asleep, can you work on that for me? Can you clear that for me? Can you make me feel better about that? Can you can you help to rebalance that for me? And they will do that during dream time. It's a really powerful time. We tend to be open at night time much more to to the the divine language of light that comes from our angels and guides and it's why when we wake up in the morning you know um we can have really big ideas that come up or creative ideas or thoughts about things but the other thing is that you know physically physiologically during rem sleep is when our brain files everything away so you know, our, our brain, we don't know what consciousness is. Science hasn't quite managed to find out exactly what it is and where it comes from, but we know it's there because you're you and I'm me. And during that sleep time is when the spirit and the body and the mind work together to give you a little bit of a rest. If you think of it as, um, you know, every night we have a death and rebirth. We go to bed as one person and as we wake up as someone new in the morning and that's a fact. Uh, uh. Yeah.
0: We are learning so so much from you and just actually where you've explained that that makes so much sense and to the listeners it is this is so so special every single question you're giving so much information. And but this is
1: why our bedroom should be a sacred space this is why I won't have a tv in my bedroom and no offense to anyone who does if you can cope with it all power to you, but I won't I have very little in my bedroom it's there's, it's very minimalist in my bedroom. Um, I I have it as a sacred space. When I go to bed at night, I I make aura sprays for myself. I will spray my aura sprays. I would have I have certain crystals in my bedroom. My room is my bedroom is a sacred space. I want to be able to go in there and be open at night and be safe. And I would say that's one of the one big thing you can do for your well being is make sure your bedroom is that sanctuary for yourself. It's not a dumping ground for everyone else's stuff. It's not a place to store blankets under the bed. And, you know, why put yourself at the bottom of the list? No, make sure your bedroom is somewhere that you can retreat to. It's your space. And if you're going to be in, in your bed and you're going to be rejuvenating and you're going to be opening up and allowing that to happen, then you deserve to have a good space to do it in. And,
0: and it's yes. important. And that makes so, so much sense. And I know, I mean, yes, I, I do. I am guilty of having a TV in the bedroom, but that's my tech side that everyone that knows me knows. Yeah, about
1: everyone's different, but it's, it's have it, you know, what's right for you. So make sure you've got your things around you that make you feel safe. Yeah. It needs to be a safe, comfortable space. Is, and, yeah.
0: I, and I do my exercise in my bedroom a lot. And so I need that clear space. And like you say, And I hear so much through lockdown and COVID where people are clearing. And when you've got that that space, you do sleep better.
1: You do. There's there's less stuff to interfere with your energy. Because everything in your home, everything that exists where you live is holding energy because we are energy and everything you're looking at is made up of atoms and molecules, same as you, same as me and energy attracts energy and so everything that exists where you are will hold a certain kind of energy so for example um you go to bed you've had an argument with a friend on the phone you go to bed you put your phone by your head by the way and you might not even turn the bloody thing off you put it next to your head you've had the argument in the room could be a friend partner whatever just as an example And that energy is lingering in the room. What have you done to change it? You lay down trying to get to sleep and you can't because it's playing on your mind. The energy is in the room. Change it. Change it. Change the energy. Get up. Leave the room. Shake the sheets out. Get a nice spray. Like sage is really good. You can make crystal essences that are really good. Amethyst is a really good energy clearer. Sage, like I say um rosemary is really good lavender is really good pick smells that you like have a way of clearing energy and actually before i go to bed every night i call my angels into i call the archangels into my bedroom um and i spray my aura spray and i set my intention for a relax that's what i do and when you go to bed especially if you're sensitive like i said you're naturally open it's really important to call in protection when you sleep and a really simple way of doing that. And, you know, there's books and books and books and books and books, and God knows I've read a lot of them, but most of my teachings from my guides. But there's very simple ways of doing this. Do you mind if I explain to you now?
0: That will okay. be
1: lovely. I, I, I'm in awe. I'm ready to take everything in. So if I had had something that had been troubling me in the day, right, number one, remember that when you sleep on it, the next morning it's going to feel better. And the reason it feels better without you doing anything else that I'm going to talk about just literally sleeping on it, what happens is your brain, it goes into your stress bucket. And when you go into your REM cycle of sleep, which is when we go into deep sleep and we have up to five cycles of that during an eight hour sleep, that's when your brain empties your stress bucket and files away the experiences that you've had. It dampens it, okay? So when you wake up the next morning, your brain's done some of the work for you, okay? And this is why we need to make sure that when we go to bed at night, that it's a safe space to give the body a chance to process. So you're already, your brain is helping you. But energetically, that doesn't help you. Energetically, what you want to do is create safe harbour, safe space. So the first thing I would do, and I would recommend this to everybody, but specifically if you are sensitive and you get those feelings where you might feel there's spirit in the room with you or energy in the room with you, The angels are the best ones to call on. Um, There are the four archangels that I would use in the direction. So you'd need a compass, and most people have one on their phone anyway. So I'll go through this a little bit slower. So Archangel Raphael is the archangel of healing. He also protects travelers. So this is really good if you're in a hotel room or you're traveling, or if you're in a strange space that you wouldn't normally sleep in. Archangel Raphael is in the east. So what I would do, I'd be sat in bed and I normally put my hands out to receive. And I would say, I call Archangel Raphael as a pillar of protection and healing to the east. And allow yourself to feel him as he comes in, because he will come with a certain energy. Then I would call um, Michael, Archangel Michael, to the south. And the same thing, I call Archangel Michael as a pillar of protection and healing to the south. You would then turn to the west and call in Archangel Gabriel in exactly the same way. And then you would call to the north and call Archangel Uriel to the north as a pillar of protection and healing. I would then call Archangel Metatron above me to overlight, to over-light me while I sleep. And I would call Archangel Sandalphon beneath me to cradle me while I sleep. And what you've done there is you have something above, below, in front, behind, left and right. And it is a circle of protection um, and they will come as long as you ask them and you mean it and you need to take your time. I mean, how long did that take me? Less than two minutes. Um, And then what you can do if you've called them in to protect you, which would be my first thing that I would do. And then there's a really simple way to cleanse your energy. You don't need aura sprays, you don't need to spend loads of money and you don't need to spend loads of time. What you would do, and I'd offer you to do it with me now. I'll get you to do it with me now, Pearl. We'll do it in real time. So just close your eyes. yeah, And just take your focus to your heart space So go into your ribcage, right in the centre of your chest. And I want you to see there a star of light. And just visualise that for a moment. And just let that light get brighter and bigger. And see it filling your lungs in your ribcage. And let that light get more intense and strong. Let it spread up into your brain. See it being absorbed by your brain tissue, filling your skull. See it spreading down your arms into your hands, coming out of your fingertips. And then spreading down in your body, down through your solar plexus, which is just below your breastbone, all the way down into your hips going down into your thighs, down through your calves, down and out of your feet into the earth. And just see anything that is within your body which is not good for you, anything detrimental, just see it going down into the earth, like water down a plug hole. Just see it until it becomes clear. Just see everything being taken away, everything detrimental. That's your intention. You don't want to take the good stuff away, just the detrimental stuff. And when you feel that's done, I want you to send that light now into all layers of your aura. See it pushing out. You have seven layers and it might go into the past. There'll be things in your aura that are just kept there for safekeeping. But again, we want to—we just want to clear anything detrimental. Don't focus too much on what it is. Just clear it. It doesn't matter what it is relevant. It's just not needed anymore. And just feel that wrapping you up. And then I want you to take a deep breath in and breathe out of your base chakra, which is at the base of your spine, red light into your aura. And see that going around, you a bit like the ready brick advert. See that red surrounding your body. And then taking in another breath and breathing out from the sacral chakra, a nice deep earthy orange and breathe that to add to the red as another layer. And then the solar plexus, breathing in again. And as you breathe out, breathe out yellow from the solar plexus to join the red and the orange, your nice yellow. So you've now got three layers of color around you. And continue up to the heart with a green light. And then up to the throat with blue and breathe out from the throat, not the mouth. So blue to join those layers. So you're building up a beautiful rainbow all the way around you. And then the third eye as a deep indigo. So a nighttime sky. It can have stars in it if you want to. And then finally the crown. So that lovely white or lilac energy, whichever feels right as the final layer and have that intention that you are surrounded by your own power by your own light by your own divinity and just feel that completely wrap you up and feel that connecting you with your true essence of who you are you're in your power you're strong and protected and when you're ready just open your eyes
0: that was wonderful. I went lightheaded. Everything everything seems brighter. It's It should,
1: yeah. And you, I mean you can do that at any time, but nighttime is a good time to do it because when everyone's in dream time, and I know we have different zones around the world, but wherever you are in whichever country you're tuned into that consciousness. And so at nighttime, when everyone's in dream time, they're all sending out all their stuff. And if you are sensitive, you're going to connect with it or receive it. So if you don't have protection at bedtime, it just means that you're you're just dealing with your own stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you're cleansed when you go to bed, so there's less likely to be disturbance as well. Yeah. Oh, that is
0: wonderful, yeah. wonderful. And I told the listeners we were going to need pen and paper. There's so much, so much that you're sharing with us already it oh, wonderful thank you thank you now you might have already touched on bits of this but I'm going to move to the next question where and how do you work best I mean some of this you could already have shared with us
1: yeah and again I can keep it quite simple really the place that I work best is in authenticity it's from truth and I I, I don't do I don't do Anything I don't believe in, I have to really believe in what I'm what I'm offering in order to do it. I I I cannot stand fakeness. I just don't do bullshit. I, I won't tell you something unless I really believe it's right for you. And I and I do ask that from the people I work with as well. There's got to be a truth and a trust between us. That's the other thing. I work best when there's trust, and I understand you have to earn that. And it comes from results. So people who are working with me as they get the results, they trust me a bit more. And then we get the results and they trust me a bit more. And, you know, that's the way it grows. And I do like to work one-to-one. So it doesn't really matter where I am. In fact, my world's been turned upside down because my whole, half of my downstairs, I have, I have a massive lounge. It's 23 foot by 13 foot. And that was my healing room. But during lockdown, um, obviously you couldn't work from home. And we decided that there was going to be a change in our family, that I'm not going to work from home anymore in that way. So that is now a family room that's been completely stripped and redecorated. And it was a real upheaval for me. So I don't actually know where I'm going to be working from next year. I've had a couple of offers, but it's just making sure that I choose the right one. And so for now, I'm working in my little room here and I've made it my own little sanctuary. I've got all my lovely things around me and it's a beautiful room. And so I love to work from here. It's a safe space, but really one-to-one I love. Um, I, I have worked in groups and I like that, but I think probably the best results I get from a healing perspective is one-to-one. Yeah. Uh,
0: absolutely wonderful. I've... <laughs> And for the listeners, I told you this is pure gold dust, it really is. Everything you're sharing is just wonderful. I'm going to move to the next question, but Mm. it it fits very nicely with where you work best. What tools do you use that makes your work life easier?
1: Yeah, well, this was a tough one for me because I'm not really a techie person, so I couldn't come up with loads of technical tools or anything. So it's kind of well i'll just tell you what I've, what i what i wrote down for myself really i put lists i'm one for lists i'm very organized in the sense that i need to know where i am and what i'm doing i don't always get it down in the order i want to but i need to have something physical in front of me to keep me guided and and keep me on target because yes. <laughs> yes. i'm easily distracted the other thing is i support a lot of people online that are is not paid for work but it's where i'm supporting people that are going through tough things so my ipad is my ultimate tool because with my eyes i can't use a laptop or a um a traditional kind of compute desktop because i can't see the screen so easily yeah so my ipad brilliant because i can expand everything and it has everything in one place and me and my ipad are never separated it's like my fiddling. So my iPad is a massive tool because it has everything on there for me and actually I can work from anywhere with my iPad. So it's it's really important to me. Um, the list thing allows me to do one thing at a time because I'm a, I am can do 10 things at one time and I don't always do them the best. So I find just one thing at a time. And the last thing that I wrote down for myself is my spirit guides and my intuition because they're probably my biggest tools. my guides. I work with my guides 24 seven. I have an amazing spirit guide who works with me all the time and he helps me with everything that I do. And he knows I love him. He's just amazing. And what that allows me to do is fully and completely trust my intuition. So when I get feelings about things, when I'm working with clients, it's all, it's all divinely ordered. So if there was one thing that I would keep out of all of the tools that I have, and I have sound bowls, I have tinctures, I have, you know, I've got a million tools in this room. There's probably about 150 crystals and I could use all of them. And I see them all as my allies, actually. They are all my helpers. They are all part of my team from my Ganesh statue to my crystal fountains and my massive calcite crystal ball that I have. To my to my goddess statue, to my salt lamp, um, to my pen—they are all part of my team, and we work together in symbiosis to try and help people as best we can. Yeah,
0: absolutely wonderful. <laughs> and that, is, that is so so enlightening, and yes, I can tick some of those boxes when you talk about lists. I'm a great one for this, and I find I get far more done. And um, yes, I yes. think I'm multitasking, but I'm only mm-hmm. doing a bit of things. Whereas if I've got a list and I can go through and that sense of achievement at the end of the day. Oh, is- dopamine.
1: Yeah, I want the dopamine hit when I've done well. I love it. Yeah, and I am. The thing is, I sometimes I say to my husband often, I can't get work off my mind. I'm just, and he says, Don't worry about it. You love your work. Your work's your life. It doesn't matter. I think so often we try we feel bad about not switching off from work, but when you love what you do, it doesn't matter. let yourself if you're okay with it you know we're we're all so worried now about work life balance and and that is important, of course, it's important, especially if you have a job that is really demanding you know like a key worker or you know people that are working physically, of course, it's important. But for me, my work is my life. I can't just suddenly, I don't go at five o'clock and go, right, I'm not a healer now, I'm not a medium now, I'm not working with spirit now, I'm just Joe. It just wouldn't work because it's the fabric of who I am. And so I've stopped beating myself up if I do work on a Saturday or if I'm like I was last night and still working at half eight at night. I don't beat myself up about it anymore because I'm doing it because I enjoy it. Yeah. So why make my, I mean, it's my husband made me see that. Yeah. And I'd
0: say exactly the same because it was um, El Welch that said to me a couple of weekends ago, because I touch base with Elle and with Michelle Greve practically every day, much s- similar to what I do with you, Jan. Mm. And I've been working over the weekend regularly because I'm so passionate. I've got this retreat that I'm putting in and yeah, I'm yeah. about me, but it doesn't feel like work. When it's what you love, it isn't work. It's, it's play exactly and it's your day-to-day just being it's being not working
1: yeah yes I love it. it and you've managed to like I have I mean there there was a big push leading up to this eclipse you know we've had this eclipse season that's been going on over the last couple of months and I'm not an astrologer by the way I must say that now but I do follow what's going on in the sky I can't help it it does it does affect me greatly and with this eclipse, there was a huge energy, not just for me, but for all of us about clearing out. It wasn't just clearing out stuff. It's clearing out relationships and old connections and maybe negative connections or connections which aren't nurturing you. And I found that I I did come away from quite a few connections that I'd had. Some of them were friendships, some of them were just business connections, but I could feel that they were either out of balance or they weren't nurturing me you know and you look at the people around you and I put this post on about people being in the boat and they're either rowing with you or they're drilling a hole yeah and you want to make sure you're filling your, your life with people who row with you and what I have found is where I shed a lot of people who where the balance wasn't right I've been so lucky and I include this in the idea of abundance is I've had people like you come into my life which are Amazing friends, people like Elle. You know, it, you know, new people who are real, who are authentic, and they're in their own, they're in their own essence. They know who they are, and I, I just don't want to be involved with people who. I had a lady. I'll share something really personal. I had a lady block me because I forgot to say happy birthday to her on Facebook, and it was somebody that I'd given a lot of time to. I'd done all kinds of different work on her house for her. Um, for one reason or another, she has baggage to do with relationships, and she saw that saying her happy birthday was more important than the fact I'd been messaging her at one o'clock in the morning when she'd been having a tough time. And so I said goodbye with a with a with a clear heart. You know i i can't have I can't have people in my life that are going to have expectations on me that I can't fulfil. I can't be there twenty four seven as a friend because of the work I do and I help a lot of people. But if your your life went to shit, trust me, I would be one of the first people knocking on the door. And I pride myself in that, but I can't always be there 24-7 all the time. And why would I want to be and why should I be? Um, I think it is a case of looking at all those friendships and those relationships in your life and asking yourself these things. Is it nurturing me? Is that person rowing? Or are they drilling a hole is that person clear on their boundaries are they boundaryed? am I boundaried enough with them and mainly is looking at balance so with regards to your expectations of friendship are your expectations balanced are you expecting too much of the people around you or not enough are you making that friendship something or that relationship something which is just not realistic And go through those relationships and decide which ones are nourishing you, which ones are nurturing you, because do they deserve space in your boat? That's my question to you, because so often we keep connections with people because we think, oh, it looks good if I'm friends with that person, or I might learn something from them, or they might help me with my business at some point, or, well, we've been friends a long time, I can't just stop being friends with them now. No listen every day you're a new person and actually every hundred days did you know what apart from your teeth everything's renewed in your body I mean you literally are a new person you owe no one anything from the point of view of your time and energy so make sure that if you're spending your energy on somebody that it is worth your time that it's worth your energy and what I mean by that is that some people are programmed to receive and some people are programmed to give and you will have people in your life, you'll know them, and it's a, it's a cliche I know now, but they're either a drain or they are a charger. And decide what you're going to surround yourself with, because it really does change your life. I'm lucky. My mum said the other day, I put a post up on my personal Facebook, and my mum saw some of the comments, and so she messaged me privately and said, Joe, you've got so many positive people in your life, all those lovely women and all those wonderful messages they put. But it's because I've been really, really careful with who I surround myself with now. I'm not going to surround myself by people who, what I call scorpions, where they say, Oh, Joe, you're such a lovely person, but you know, you don't always call when you say you're going to. It's sad. All right. It's that little comment at the end, the little scorpion or that was a lovely dinner you cooked, but the carrots weren't quite done right. You know, it's that kind of thing. Those kinds of friends. I don't want them there. Thank you. No, thank you. I want people that are going to say, do you know what, Joe? you're a really good friend. You're there when I need you. I know you don't call me every week, but it doesn't matter because when I needed you, you were there. It's that. And the other thing I just have to say really quickly in with that, when you are looking at this list of friends and these people around you, Be kind because they might not be exactly the friend that you are and they might not match your expectations, but look at them with a good heart and say, are they doing their best? And if you honestly think they're doing their best, then maybe you can be a bit softer on them when they maybe don't say happy birthday when they're meant to, or they're 10 minutes late, or they don't call you when they said they would, or treat people kindly expect the best of them because people will never ever let you down on that cut people some slack and treat them how you would want to be treated and i know that i want people to think the best of me that if i do muck up or i make a mistake or i let them down or i i say something which i maybe shouldn't have or i'm out of line or whatever it is i'm late or you know that they will they will forgive me and they will know that whatever happened, it was for good reason and I was doing my best. And if we looked at each other like that, the world would just be so much nicer, wouldn't it? Because we'd all be expecting the best from people and we'd assume the best. If you assume the worst of people and if someone forgets something like that and you just assume that they're an arsehole, then that makes you an arsehole. I'm sorry, but it does because you're world will always reflect you and I'll tell you something that you shutting me up girl that's the problem I'll tell you the other thing is that as your light gets brighter and I was taught this yesterday by my friend David we're having this conversation and he's a really experienced practitioner he's going to be on my show on the on the radio show soon really it's experienced practitioner And he was saying to me that as your light gets brighter and as you embody yourself, so you're in your body, you're not away with the fairies all day, you're in your body, but you're connected to your guides. Your light gets really bright. And when it's centered, and of course it acts more of a mirror. And so it's going to reflect other people's darkness. It's going to reflect their shadow. It's going to reflect their their bad side. But when they're looking at you because you're their mirror, they see it as being you. So their darkness... And their challenging behaviours, their parts of their personality which aren't so cool, their shadow side. And, it you know, we all have a dark side. We all have parts of us which aren't very pleasant. But as your light gets brighter and you connect to your guides more, and it has to be in your body, all right? This isn't about going off with the fairies and meditating. It's about living your truth and connecting with your divine, your divine path, your golden light you will become a mirror and that light is a very, very, very clear mirror. And so if I get angry with you and you know you haven't done anything wrong, but I'm pouring vitriol at you, just know that you are reflecting my darkness, but I'm seeing it as though that darkness belongs to you. And when people do that... There needs to be boundaries and it's really important that we remember and we tell ourselves, I'm not a bad person. It's not about not being aware and responsible. If you know you've done something to hurt the person, apologise and try and put it right, of course. But equally, if you know you haven't done anything and you're being accused of stuff you haven't done, people are telling you you're someone you know you're not, remember that you are acting as their mirror and it probably means you are embodying your own power and that you're stood in your own light. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Just, just wow
0: wow wow and there's so many things that yes what do you say about that because i know that you've reached out to me and michelle grieve has reached out to me and talked to me about boundaries because i naturally give i will give every 110 150 of me and sometimes those people that you give to they're, they're the takers and then i can remember as a kid, um, I'd get upset that my best friend had upset me and I'd done everything and they hadn't given it back. And my dad would say to me, if throughout your life you have five special friends, you are lucky, you are gifted because people will change and grow. Uh, I've seen, and when you say, there's so many people where they say, I'm not being rude, but... or or I'm finding now they say, I say this with love. And I'm thinking, no, you don't say it with love at all. <laughs> yeah, I hate
1: that. That's, That's your excuse. Well, I probably the... use that phrase myself. To be honest. <laughs> but I mean, when I'm saying it, I, probably, I will be talking with love. I won't be saying something hurtful. But yeah, when they put that caveat on the front. No, and no, what love- makes you feel I need to know what you're wanting me to know? Yeah it's and it is
0: it's it's taught me a lesson and I know recently I've backed away on certain things because certain ideas that I've shared I've had to keep to myself because yes I'm I'm lucky I'm gifted in that I can look at things and see how to monetize that's half of the gift I have that I work through my business consultancy that Mm. I will see ways to monetize but then I have to realize if I'm showing someone else how to monetize something, I need to get recommended to <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. the stage. It's all, all I'm doing is giving and where I work with the law of attraction, so much more on the vibrations when you're saying, and when you explain about the light and reflecting, it's yeah. all about the vibrations that what you give out, that's
1: absolutely yeah but you have to remember as well that you can raise your vibration up as much as you want you are still going to come across shadow because everyone holds shadow and what I mean by that is is the bits of us that we maybe don't like very much but I'll tell you a secret about shadow it's the shadow where we grow the shadow is when we when we harness our shadow when we face our shadow and deal with it that's how we grow and there can't be shadow without light. So if, you're, if you've got a bit of shadow going on in your life, so there's things you don't like or there's things you don't like about yourself, we all, all of us hold shame and all of us hold some kind of regret about things we've done. And there's a really lovely exercise that you can do. It's a shamanic practice where you would sit outside with a decent length of string and go through in your head anything you feel sorry for, anything there's regret, anything there's guilt or shame. Um, it might be friendships that you ended suddenly and you never explained to the other person or relationships or it could be that you, I don't know took a quid out your mum's purse when you shouldn't have touched it it could be anything, right from your dot every time you think of something you tie a knot in the string and you keep going and you have you do this on your own. Don't share it with anyone because you'll never be honest with yourself. But go through everything that you feel either guilt, shame, or regret for. Tie a knot with each one and acknowledge it in your head. Tell your brain what it is you're tying into the rope. You want it to be natural string or jute, because then at the end you're gonna burn it. And what you're doing is you're taking it out of the body, you're releasing it because none of us are perfect, and we grow up in a world where we are conditioned and programmed to act, think, and and do in certain ways, right? That's a fact. And, you know, we grow up in a world where we are taught to be selfish in some things. And I don't mean selfish in a good way. I mean, selfish in a, this is me, I want, I want, I deserve, you know, we're not taught to take responsibility for how we create vibration in the world. We're just taught to just do what we want to do, especially now. So. yeah, it's, it's the shadow side of things is really, really important if you want to free yourself up and you talk about being in the flow because the biggest thing that will stop your flow is regret, shame and, and not acknowledging those bits of you which either need work or need acknowledgement or you need to take responsibility for. So for myself, I have a big ego. I do. I have a big ego, and over the years it's got me into a lot of trouble where I've said things I shouldn't have said and I've hurt people where i've I was that person that would tell you it blunt um, and I learned over the years it's just not who I am, and it's not conducive to where I want to be, and so I've worked really, really hard at reducing that ego, and I've done actually almost the opposite, so now I find it hard to find drive to push myself forward. And to talk on your show today, you know, that's a massive thing for me because my ego has been I've, – I've moved it and changed it. And I'm also very competitive if I let myself. So if I do something, I want to be the best at it. And I've had to work on that as well. So it's okay to acknowledge those bits of you which you have to keep control of or you have to and, – and the other thing I can do is cut people out of my life like that. And I don't know that that's always a good thing. But, you know, if if someone really hurts me and it would take a lot, I'm happy to cut them loose and I will have no regrets and I will not look back behind me. And sometimes that's quite harsh. But I know that about myself, do you see? So I don't tend to project it onto other people and I wouldn't blame you for... You're not going to blame other people and try and get them to take responsibility for actions and traits that you have. Because you're owning it and taking responsibility for it. And the minute you do that, guess what? The power's taken away from it. And you get in your flow. I mean,
0: this, everything you've said there, I can see myself. I can see why we connect so well.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, so I am the most competitive person I know. And when I (laughs) come to the business consultancy, when I used to say that, um, my clients would say, but that's what we want. In business, if you're going to be competitive and you want to be the best you possibly can be, mm. they want you because you they know they are going to get the best services possible, yeah. Um, and I, I mean, there's certain things like I will reflect on what I did last year, I was saying, I think. I can't remember, I think it was um, Vicky Marks. I had a podcast interview yesterday with Vicky, which we'll be going live shortly. And she's personal trainer. And I would say, I wear my my tech. I've got my Apple Watch. I've got Apple everything. I'll all hail Apple. <laughs> I think, I think <laughs> but I've kept my Fitbit because Apple Watch will not sync with Fitbit because Fitbit has gone the Microsoft route Whereas they don't want Apple. And I've got friends and people I've connected with that I do challenges with. So I keep my Fitbits. So oh, I brilliant. Challenges. But I w- and then I get reminders this time last year, you did so many steps. And if I've done less steps. Oh, no, that's basically you when you're competitive. I will, <laughs> I go, and I will go, I mean, we've got a fantastic, I've got a gym quality treadmill in the garage. And I will go and I will set. Everything and I can be i I can be so regimented with myself when I'm so in flow. But also, what that's a gift
1: to, as well, don't you? Because it helps you achieve and it actually gives yeah. you good boundaries.
0: Yeah, it is, and it's taught. But you're
1: owning it. it. Do you say you're owning yeah. it? It's not something that you're trying to say you're not. You know you are, and you're owning it, and so it doesn't become shadow. Yeah, it's taking yes. responsibility for it
0: because it's do- okay. Because I know in my um, Pearls of Wisdom Serenity show for week this week that aired on Wednesday, I talked about. No, sorry, I, I recorded it. It's next week's show where it's saying, "Do what you have to do, what you need to change, not what you want to change." And that is such a big growth because so many times you do what you want. That's easy. That's easy because you've really got the motivation to do it. But when you know yeah. it's something you have to do, that you need to do, but you don't want to, and you work on that, that's when you see the biggest shift. That when, I, think when you're, I
1: think you're right. Do you know how, how, how easy do you think it is, though, to tell the difference? Because you have to be pretty self-aware to know the difference between what you need to do and what you have to do. How do you do that?
0: The way I've done it, the way I explained it on the show, it's something that makes you squirm. Whereas if it's something that you <laughs> yeah. know but you have to do and you're, res- you're resisting it and you don't want to and you put it off and if you've got it on your list and you've gone two weeks and it's still on the top of your list but you haven't touched it, that's what you need to do. It. do
1: so mine is, mine is writing my book because so many people have told me I need to write a book about what my, what my experiences have been and I, it's, it's there but I've just not tackled it. That's I, so interesting.
0: And I'd say set, set yourself half an hour a day where that's where you're looking at that. If you dictate something or whatever, depending on what works best for you. Yeah, and I need it, to get on. And I, <laughs> I'm, I'm very much the same because I feel as the work we've done with the um, radio show and everything where we're talking now, there's so much information there that would make a fantastic book. And it's literally going from that and seeing it, where you write articles and stuff you share, they could be chapters in a book that you could then mm. compile. You've got that information. I know I've been approached to write something on LinkedIn to actually do and be published for September, so I'd better get me off into gear and have it on yeah him. you
1: better. but I think it is that vulnerability so I'm I, I find that that when you're in your vulnerability, when it is that thing that you is making you squirm and if you can find the courage to do it, then you're right. You do get the most growth from it. It's very, very true. And if you look back on your life, you know it's true. You know it's true.
0: And it's things. It's things. I know Richard Branson always says how he's got through in life that if someone says, "Can you do something?" You just say yes. With and that's how I've got the fantastic corporate clients I've had because literally they say to me, "Can you do that?" I don't bat an eyelid and I say yes. And then you I have a good night because I learn how to do it on YouTube and stuff, so that I know. <laughs> that's I've come. I mean, I, I'm I'm a digital comms consultant, and I'm seen as a guru for digital technology. My degree's in English. I can write well. There's a story in me, and I can reason, but I can wipe the floor with almost anyone when it comes to technology, and oh, that's. But I mean, that's
1: a huge asset in this world.
0: It is, and this is where this is where COVID has really shown for me. I know people have had a hard time, but for me, this is my gift to help other people. That digital understanding and knowing, because I think the new norm so much will be online, and that's where I can help. Certainly for me, and actually teach people and grow. But that's when you realise. And it's actually learning what's right for you and acknowledging Mm.
1: that. That's
0: right. And to begin with, like when you say, when you say about the ego, and so much in the work we do, we're told not to have the ego, to take the ego out of the equation. Now, if my ego wasn't pushing me to do things, I wouldn't have got.
1: (sighs) Yes, but we 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 have two different egos, and there is the ego, what I call the big ego which is the one that says, you'll never do that. Why are you bothering? No one's going to listen to you. Who do you think you are? And then you have the little ego or what you might call the we go. And it's that ego that has supportive thoughts. It's that one that says, well, you better get off your ass and do this, even if you're frightened, because people need to hear this. Or you might not feel like it today, Joe, but get up off your ass and go and help people today because they need you. And it's that we go, the little ego that gets us, to do things it gets us to overcome what the big ego is saying so it's you know if you're having unsupported thoughts if your if your ego is giving you unsupported thoughts so it's saying who do you think you are or no one's going to listen to you or you'll never achieve that stop it stop your ego in its tracks and ask it number one is that the truth just send the thought up in your head is that the truth ask wherever that thought that unsupported thoughts come from Ask it. Is that the truth? And when it gives you the answer, which nine times out of 10, it will say no, by the way. But if it should say yes, that is the truth. Say, show me the evidence. Just say to your mind, show me the evidence. And it probably won't. 99 times out of 100, it can't give you the evidence. It's just that it's trying to stop you from doing something that is unpredictable. And that could be anything. It's not just jumping off a cliff. It could be working with somebody you don't know. It could be doing a new practice. It could be reading a different kind of book. It could be writing with your left hand, brushing your teeth with the opposite hand. It could be anything where your brain cannot predict the outcome. That limbic system will try and avoid you doing it. And it really applies to growth. So when we get into the world and we find our niche and we find our groove and we find our try, and then all of a sudden we want to share and we start to find our voice our brain says no one's going to care what you say no one's listening who do you think you are you don't know as much as that person and the and the other ego's going yes you do have a go you need to stop and ask is that the truth and where's the evidence and then you can push past the blocks
0: yeah absolutely love it absolutely love it and i say to the listeners just it is this is gold dust and you've got your pen and paper and the amount of information that we're taking it's it's just brilliant, and I couldn't agree with you more on absolutely everything. I'm going to move on to the next question to see, and again, this is my second longest question here. <laughs> <laughs> what would you have done differently in your life if you'd known then what you know now?
1: Hmm. <laughs> mm. I think I would have worked more on my relationship with myself. I would have learned how to love myself more. I would have given myself more credit. I would have given myself more nurture. I would have believed in myself more. And I would have been kinder to myself in lots and lots of ways. I think our relationship with ourselves is the most important one we're ever going to have. And so if I could do something different, if I could go back without all the knowledge I have now, the, simply the thing I would do is go back as early as I could in my life and give myself self-worth to make sure I knew I was worthy yeah. mm. and not believe the things that happened to me in my life where with a, with a stepdad who was very violent and abusive and a father who is abusive and being bullied at school and all those kinds of things that all just crush you. They crush the life out of you to the point where you become somebody who will do anything to fit in. You you don't have an identity. You just, you don't trust yourself. You don't trust your choices. You don't trust your inner voice because it's crushed out of you. And we all get that. It doesn't matter what you've been through. I think my life's probably exceptionally difficult when I was younger. But I know I'm not alone in that. And, yeah, so if I could go back and give myself anything, it would be self-belief, trust, give myself a hug, tell yeah. myself it's going to be all right. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Again, I can see why we're connected because, yes, I mean, I, I don't learn. I always gyrate to the bad boys and I get completely... <laughs> everything. I've been... In quite a few abusive relationships. And it's made me probably stronger now. And the stuff you go through, you don't realize what you're capable of Mm -hmm. until you do that. And I think I've said to both Elle and to Michelle in the podcast, it's put me in a place where now I will take the crap before anyone else does. If I see anyone in need, I will put myself in the way and I'm five foot two and I'm quite small. Yes. I've got to get back to my smallest weight as all women talk about all these things and everything, but that's a whole different podcast, but I will always, 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 I will put myself in the way now and I will stand up and I will fight for absolutely everyone. And it's taught me how strong you can be. And I will go in and I will shout and I, well, I mean, even before I had my kids, I used to run pubs, and they used to put me on the door with the bouncers, and no I'd way. be drunk and, <laughs> and up, and I'd be looking up to them like this because they're normally at least two feet two feet taller than me, and I'd be saying truly Sender style, "Get out my pub, you're barred," would... <laughs> because they just wouldn't. And I think an aggressive man to that extent will take it when it's a woman they know they've almost been shamed and they will back off but i will do that for anyone i will always put myself in the way i'd rather take it because i'm strong enough now i've worked on myself enough that i can take it wow but i will not i will never ever ever let anyone treat me the way i've been treated previously and i won't let And this them... is
1: the learning isn't it this yeah. is the learning yeah yeah the lioness
0: uh, and the amount of people that say that and the amount of people that tell me I use Warrior S um, energy, but sometimes I stay in it for too long and that's when I yeah. complete my energy because I do that so often. But it is, it's is—it's taught me and it's when people play mind games and like my ex-husband liked to do that because I was the stronger personality and the stronger character, so he put me down. And mm. as soon as I got strong, he could not deal with it because I would wipe the floor with him because I would mm. stand my ground. And <laughs> you, you realise just what you're capable of when you can do that.
1: When you're against the wall, yeah. 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 When being strong is the only option, then you do really see yourself as you can be. Yeah. And if there is... Um, I grew up with men that were abusive and... I never particularly liked men, to be honest. And growing up and seeing that, it made... My mum done a good job on me because she, my mum was abused, physically abused um, by my father from the minute I was born, I think. And um, and I mean properly beaten. And my mum done a good job on me because she basically made me so strong. She made me the opposite. And she'll say to you now, she'll say, I think I've done too much of a good job, Andre. But I've married the most gentle, kind spiritual lovely gentle loving man so I definitely moved through and processed it because that that loving man came into my life when I was 23 so I cleared the karma of it because so often um, I see friends and people in my family who have grown up exactly the same as me but they've then gone into other abusive relationships but it's really important that you find your ground, you find your safe ground so you can then be, be the person that you, you know you can be. And, and actually there are some lovely men in the world. There's also some horrible ones, but there, are, there is a fair share of nice ones as well. It's just connecting to them and disregard the rest. And
0: it's that whole vibrational thing again. Absolutely. You attract what you give out. Yeah. And again I can remember my dad saying to me when I was going through my divorce he took one look at me and he said daughter he said will you stop He said stop being a victim you are not a victim and don't let wow be
1: and only he, your dad could say that
0: <laughs> and, he, and but I mean I grew up with my dad as a god everything he did I worshipped and agreed until I hit a certain age where I got an idea of my own and then like my, you do. just a little bit but it, yeah but, but for him to say that it taught me so much and I still remember that and there's times when I can hear that little voice saying to me don't be the victim don't be the victim go out there
1: and I, re- I remember times as a child when my mum my, my mum left my dad when I was nine years old and actually my dad was beating my mum most days and I would. I would go to bed as a five-year-old and I would hear my mum screaming for help from downstairs. I mean, he probably beat her up. And a guide would come sit on my bed with me, which I now know is my guide now, and he would just talk me through it. Anyway, um, my mum actually ended up stabbing my father in front of me and he never touched her again after that. And then she left. And um, even as a little girl... I remember thinking I'm never going to go through that and when my stepdad was abusive and he used to call me, he used to hit me but he used to call me some spiteful things, he used to call me the gremlin, he used to say I was the most ugly thing he'd ever seen, he used to tell me I'd clean toilets for a living, I'd never be anything and all things like that and in my head I just used to think right from an early age I used to think you will not break me. I will have my place. I will find my way, and even then, at that age, I just I was manifesting a different vibration. I didn't realize it. it's only looking back and There's something interesting that I'll share with you, which is really personal, but when i was a ch- when I was a child, I used to tell a lot of lies. I used to make up fantasies, and I remember this one time that the dinner lady at my primary school. I lived. We lived with my nan for quite a while. My nan's one of the most pivotal people in my whole life. She shaped me. Um, Edna May, she was called. And she was an incredible lady. She had eight children, had her first child at 16, grew up through the war and the rest of it. And she was very, very strict, very bounded, very loving person. And um, she, I don't know, she shaped me. She showed me a different way of, Of being as a person. And she would say to me, You can be whatever it is you want to be, you can be. I didn't know at the time what she'd been through. She'd had her own abusive husband. She'd been with an alcoholic when she was very young and all the rest of it. But I never really, I never, I never gave up on the idea that I would have something. And anyway, I lived with her and I was going to the primary school near her. And I told the lady who was the dinner lady that I was only living with my grandmother temporarily because. My dad was a millionaire, and my dad had a place with eight acres, and we had horses, and um, and we lived in Devon. We didn't live because this was in London. That we didn't live in We didn't live in London. We lived in Devon, and we had horses and all that. And of course, she stopped my grandmother in the playground, the dinner lady, and said, "Wow," she said, "Your daughter's done well." Because I didn't know, but she'd known my mum when my mum was younger. A great big house in Devon with horses and eight acres and everything else, and my mum went, "No, that's not true." Joe's told a lie there, and the lady told me off for telling lies. And it was only recently, and there was a few things like that that I would fib. I say fib, you know, it was an absolute lie when I was a kid. I used to lie about my situation. I didn't want people to know that I come from a violent home and all that kind of thing. But I realised that. Actually, what happened was we moved to Devon. We lived in a place with eight acres and we had horses. So I wonder now if I was actually manifesting that in my life, because everything I told a lie about, all those things I said about my life have come true. I used to say to people, we've got a big Mercedes. We've got a big Mercedes. And when I'm older, that Mercedes is going to be mine. I forgot all about it. I actually got my first Mercedes. I got it from an auction. I didn't pay full price for it. But I got that Mercedes about, I don't know, maybe 10 years into our marriage. I had the Mercedes that I described. So even though I was a child and I was creating this alternative universe for myself where things were very different and things were lovely. Actually, the other day I realized I, have, I maybe manifested all of that because everything I lied about came true so was it a lie or was it and was it me pretending my life wasn't crappy was I manifesting I don't know but as a child I did have this alternate universe that I used to drift off into and it was about imagining a different life and I never let go of that I knew I knew I would meet a lovely man and I knew I would have the home that I've got now and I all these things I just knew. And actually, talking about my husband, I was told at about 16 that my husband would be from Bristol, that he would have a name beginning with J, and that I would meet him through work. So wherever I worked, I used to ask everyone, did they know anyone from Bristol? Because I was living in Devon then. And I used to go out on nights out in Bristol and I used to ask everyone I worked with, do you know anyone with a name called Jay who's like single, who comes from Bristol? And I didn't want it. So when I got the job where my husband was my boss, the first day I turned up, it was a cold January morning and he opened the door of the office and I said, the first thing I said to him was, feel my hands, they're freezing. And he held hands with me and this weird thing happened, like this physical feeling. But he was marrying someone else at the time, by the way. And he said, Hi, I'm Jason. And I said, Oh, it's really nice to meet you. I said, Where are you from? He said, Bristol. And I thought, Oh, no, he's marrying somebody else. But I mean, that's another story. And we, end, we did end up together. But yeah, it's, I knew that was coming. So I never had any doubts as a kid. I always had little nudges and insights from spirit. They kept me going. I never, I never ever gave up hope again. And I never gave up with my. I never let it grind me down. I had my jaw fractured. I got kicked in the ribs. I had, was hit over the head with shoes. I was dragged out of bed by my hair. I was, it, was, it was awful growing up, awful with my stepdad, was a particularly nasty individual. Um, but it never broke me. It never broke me. I never once thought I wouldn't have my happy ending.
0: And that shows how strong you are. And mm. definitely it's that... Manifesting, it's having that, and knowing that's what you put out to the universe, and you put it out often enough. At the time, yeah. it could well have been a coping mechanism because of what. Oh, you were
1: for thinking. sure. Yeah, because yeah, now I know about trauma, and I know about trauma in children. Part of that is telling lies and 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 building up some fantasy world because it's better than the one that you're in. And I know that now, but there is a manifesting there that happened. Yeah, there yeah. is and when you imagine something enough even now you don't have to be a child when you imagine something enough when you imagine an outcome enough you are building that into your into your vibration you are attracting that it's as simple as that it's no more complicated than that yeah.
0: it is mm. and yes and i think a lot of it if you've been through something and i think both of us have been through things that most people just wouldn't Can't even imagine. Mm. One, it makes you a stronger person, and then where I am now in my life, I could not be happier. Everything just yeah, and it just it's like in a way you're being tested to see how will you cope with that and what will you do, and that helps with your personality and to form the person you become.
1: Yeah, and and it's treasure so. Everything that's happened to you, you've turned into treasure. You can now help other people. You can now share your wisdom with them. You can share your connection with them. And that's what I try to do is you, you, take, your, you take your crap, you chuck it in the cauldron, you give it a stir, goddess helps you stir it, and you pour out the gold. You know, turn your, turn your challenges and your difficulties into treasure. Find the gold there, because there will be gold, however dark. There will be gold there.
0: And I think for the listeners as well, everything that Joe is saying, that's giving you the impetus to think, yes, I can do this. If it's just one word and one sentence that you can actually pick up on and that helps you move forward and achieve what you're looking for.
1: Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? Because you can't fail everything you do. The way the Spirit teach me is that you can't do anything wrong. So even when you feel you've made a mistake, Trust me, it's a stepping stone. Something will come out of that. It might just be the learning, but what if it brings an extraordinary person to you? What if it shows you who you really are? What if it opens a door for you that wouldn't have opened before? Because if I hadn't lost my sight, I wouldn't be talking to you now or near. I wouldn't have followed the path of holistic health and developed my mediumship and gone on to do all these things and I've had some extraordinary experiences I've worked internationally I've worked with royal families I've worked with international VIPs and the same as I've worked with my neighbours you know I wouldn't have had any of those experiences unless I'd been courageous unless I'd had that shitty experience I just wouldn't have done it so how can you look back I think losing my sight was the best thing that could have ever happened to me ever
0: it's brought so many things and like you say if it's if I just take that one and be selfish for me that you and I connected we've been through stuff so that you and I can connect and be at that yeah you know
1: absolutely we wouldn't have resonated if we had if, if there wasn't that understanding and that's the thing when you know good people come in take care of them yeah take care of the good people when they come in notice them see them if you haven't got rid of the crappy people you won't see the good ones
0: definitely Definitely, and <laughs> uh, I'm i going to move on because I've real I'm realised I'm taking up so much of your time. But I'm loving this. I'm absolutely <laughs> loving it. What What is your biggest challenge and why, Joe?
1: I think my biggest challenge has been with my sight, um finding the coping strategies and learning to live with the 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 little bits of disturbance that I do have with my sight. So like I said, I can't drive. I can't always see faces. And the other thing is self-belief, which we've already talked about. So I think it's, that's been my biggest challenge is people tell me, people tell me lovely things all the time. People enjoy what I do and they, and they value my work. And I can't always take in that, um, those positive comments. I think, I think I've I am humble. I hope I'm humble. I don't want to be one of those people that gets, you know, up their own backsides, that'll never be me. I'm just me, I'm Joe. But I just think I need to believe in myself a bit more and believe that my message is worth something. That's been my biggest my biggest challenge. So coming on here is massive for me.
0: And the amount you're sharing and the amount of people you will be helping and that the listeners will resonate. And like I say, people will come back and back and back to this episode to learn because there's so much that you're sharing and it's just wonderful. It really is. You are such, such a special person. You really are. I'm, I'm going to move on to the next question because we're, bits we're going through and then we're we're building on so much to find out about who is Joe. How, how do you want to be remembered? Now, again, I was told this was almost talking about ego, but how would you like to be remembered, Jo?
1: Just as someone who made others' lives a little bit more hopeful, I'd like to be that safe place for people, that person that you know you can go to who will hold you close when you need them, somebody who, who makes you feel safe. I'd just like to be remembered as that someone kind that people go oh I loved Jo she was so kind she was she she made me feel better about things she made me feel better about life that's enough
0: and that's you've achieved that you achieve that every single day you're absolutely (laughs) wonderful you really are wonderful (laughs) so it's a hard
1: question to answer actually isn't it it, it, is, it
0: is a hard question to answer. <laughs> okay. yeah. I will move on to the. You might have touched on this question, sort of where we've been talking, covering things. But as a child, what did you want to be and how close to that dream are you now?
1: Yeah, like I said at the beginning, it was the teacher. And yeah, I am really, I I see myself, you know, a big part of what I do is teaching. It might not be in a classroom in front of children, but it was never meant to be. I just didn't realise that, so... I got my formal teaching qualification last year. Um, So what they used to, I I don't know what they call it now, Um, but it's Petals, they used to call it, but it's teaching adults. So I, I have my qualification in that. And I did that so that the courses that I'll be bringing out later on so that I had the credibility and the qualifications to do all of that. So, yeah, I am... I am a teacher now and a teacher in lots and lots of different ways so it's about sharing knowledge and empowering others I I believe that knowledge is power and in whatever aspect it comes to your life so yeah teacher
0: (laughs) and again synchronicities and everything you're saying when you said those words knowledge is power that was the first strapline of my very first company
1: Wow! And
0: it's, there are so many connections when you're saying That's so it, bizarre. It's, it's. I mean, I, I, I always stri- strive when you Hello. say teaching and everything. I love to consume knowledge. I will always do that, and sometimes the stuff that makes my head hurt. Like I've always promised myself. Oh I'd
1: yes. yes, I'm the same. I'm the eternal student. I mean, my husband, my friends, they laugh at me because I'm always learning something. I just love. I never. I'll never see myself as knowing everything. I'm. I'm the eternal student. Yeah. Yeah. And I love. I love challenging myself with concepts and understanding.
0: Yeah. And you even say in that. I'm so. I used to head the debating societies when I was at secondary school, and um, yes. And what taught me something is again my mother saying to me something. She said, "No matter what you say." If the other person gives a better argument, be prepared to change your viewpoint.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: And and I think that takes a strong person as well to actually see. It
1: really does. When you're
0: wrong. Yeah, exactly. But if someone can actually share a different viewpoint and you can see it and you can see where the flaws are in your argument, you learn and you grow from it. You're
1: growing. Yeah, absolutely. It's about being a grown up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It is yes. and so that I mean I my mum told me that when I was twelve years old and it really
1: well, that was an amazing really, gift that she gave you because it's it, true.
0: It really, really resonates because it was, it was the first debate I ever did at the secondary school and I was leading one viewpoint and I won the debate and at the end of the debate I said my <laughs> influence has changed my viewpoint. And they all looked because I I'd got more points because I'd actually won that, but they, the other person had changed my viewpoint. And do I think these? that's
1: wonderful. Yeah, that's wonderful.
0: I love that. And is I love it is all those synchronicities about what you've said and that everything you've said. I can see why we get on so well, and we have known each other in previous lives. It's yeah, it's, yes yeah it's easy it's easy <laughs> I can move on to this next one and this is me this is my guilty pleasure so I add it I love books the, the knowledge and I know you were saying like with your husband that had read to you now yes I, I consume books in so many different ways now and where I have the question can you name three titles of your favorite books and why you've chosen them I will have When it used to be a book and I could feel the paper and the pages, I use Kindle and I use Audible. More often than not, I use Audible now. because I have
1: to, because because reading books is very hard for me because of the print size. So I have to, I was having a thing where I had large print books, but there's very limited titles. So I have my Kindle and I have my Audible and I'm exactly the same. I do love an audio book. But I'm. I tend to be listening, reading, probably about three books at any one time, and I revisit books a lot. And I have lots of books. Yeah, lots of books. In fact, I worked for a publisher when I was in my <laughs> in my late teens, and um, yeah, I I've just so many books. Books are amazing. They're just little sacred keepers of knowledge, aren't they? Like,
0: definitely. Like, definitely. I mean, yeah. oh, could you actually choose three titles, do you think?
1: Yeah, I found it quite easily. easy, actually. So the three that I would share with you, I love Caroline Mace. Um, her surname is spelled M-Y-S-S for anyone who doesn't know her, but it's pronounced Caroline Mace. She's written many wonderful books, but the main one that helped me was Anatomy of the Spirit. She goes through each of the chakras she teaches you how to work with the chakra she teaches you and the chakra is an energy point on the body for anyone who doesn't know you don't have to be a healer or someone with all that knowledge to enjoy this book she talks about how we process what we experience through our body and it's really empowering and I love her voice she's very direct there's no woo-woo with her she just says it how it is and she's a phenomenal teacher yeah, I, I I hold her in great esteem. I love her. Well, that's brilliant because that's already yeah, you know, that's some a writer
0: I didn't know, but I've written it all down and I will be yeah, making sure. Will- she does another
1: book which isn't one of my choices, but another one is Why People Don't Heal. And again, it's really good if you're helping people get in their flow. The second book that I've chosen is one I only found about six months ago, and it's called The Body Keeps the Score. And it's by a writer called, it's a, it, it's a foreign name, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it as, as best I can, but it's Bessel, so B-E-S-S-E-L, Van de Kolk, so it's D-E-R-K-O-L-K. And this book is absolutely phenomenal. It, he talks about, because I base everything I do in a scientific way, I, I don't really do woo-woo, and that sounds odd coming from a medium and somebody who works with healing and angels. I know, but I love to base everything in. I like. I love to ground everything. And what he explains in depth is how the body processes trauma, how the body processes everything it, it, it experiences. But he talks about it in a way that the layman can understand, and what it does for you, especially if you are someone who's been through trauma, work with people with trauma you will start to understand and put together an understanding of how your body works. And it helps you to love your body in its process of dealing with difficulties rather than being crossed with your body for being anxious, crossed with your body for feeling upset or having a trauma response. It makes you actually feel connected to your body because you understand the physiological process and it gives you empathy and compassion for your body. That's what I find. It's a tremendous book. And it really the essence of it is how our body somatizes trauma. So how trauma can turn into illness. Because if you can understand the connection and if you can understand how it happens, you can divert it and change it.
0: Yeah. Absolutely mm. wonderful.
1: <laughs> and the last book that I chose is somebody who I love so much, who I never met but it's Maya Angelou, and she is an incredible poetess. She's an incredible author. Sadly, she passed away a little while ago. There is a video on YouTube you can find, and it's called Rainbows in My Clouds, and she wrote a book called Letters to My Daughter. She wrote lots and lots of books, and she was a doctor, um, an an incredible African-American woman. And she wrote this book, Letters to My Daughter. And it is as though she is talking to you as her daughter. She talks about the lessons she learned through life. She talks about, she's sharing with you what she experienced. She's sharing with you all the lessons that she learned, how it's helped her grow, the pitfalls, the highlights. It's like sitting down with your grandmother or your mum and her telling you, about her life and how it shaped her it's tremendous it's lovely on audible because she has the most amazing voice and I have it on my audible and I will listen to it on a regular basis I just have it playing when I'm going to bed or I have it playing when I'm sat drawing or coloring in which I like to do I just have it on in the background she she also wrote something about love liberating which At the time when I heard it, she was on Oprah's Soul Sunday and I found this clip on YouTube. If you put love liberates Maya Angelou and it's about how she let her mother go when her mum passed away. How if we love someone, we let them go. If we love someone, we say it's okay. It's okay for you to go and it doesn't need to mean through death. But it's how... When we, when we allow people to go, our children, our loved ones, our family, when we let them go, when we love them enough to let them go, they always come back in some way. And it's about that, and that's included in that book. And she wrote the most incredible poem called Still I Rise," And it is coming from the perspective as her background as, as somebody who has heritage where her ancestors were slaves. But actually, when you read this poem, it isn't just about that. And I'm not dishonouring it by saying that it's a powerful, powerful poem about the journey of African-American people and the generations of people that survived slavery. But the message that I also got from it was about we rise up. And this is the whole point of my story, I suppose, is that. Doesn't matter what happens to you or how you're pushed down or how others decide, how others decide who you are and what your worth is, that you can get back up. And I would recommend you read that poem Still I Rise. It's beautiful. And I've got chills. Everything you've said, yes.
0: Yes. And I say to the listeners, pure gold dust, pure gold dust, everything you've said, and the passion in your voice when you describe it if that doesn't make someone want to listen and read and consume that information, I don't know what can, because that's the best advertisement. That makes me feel happy. Yeah. It's it's absolutely wonderful. Really (laughs) wonderful. Maybe moving on from that, I don't know if it's going to be same answers or not, but who would you say are your key influencers and why?
1: well Maya Angelou for definite as I've just spoken about her she she has a phrase she had a phrase that was in her one of her books and it says when you know better do better when you know better be better and the love liberates that I already talked about and um she talks about rainbows in my cloud and what she was talking about is It doesn't matter how dark it gets. Again, is that thing of your sky might be cloudy. You've got to look for the rainbows. And she said when she would stand up on stage to give a speech or a talk to other people, she would call all of those that had ever been kind to her with her. She would say, come on, Grandma, you come up here now. Come on, Dad. Come on, Brother. Come on... Buddha or Gandhi or Jesus or whoever it is that she felt had helped her. You know, those people on the bus that helped me pick up my shopping when my bags broke. Now you come here. And she said, I would call them all to be with me and say, you help me now. You hold me now. You be with me now. And it is that energy that she had, which was just, she, she talked about her trauma. I believe she was raped as a child and abused. And she had some terrifically difficult things happen to her. But she found this light. And she had this faith and it gave her, she was just a huge light in this world. And she still is, even though she's not physically here. Yeah. I just look to her as somebody who she didn't, she talked it how it is. She talked it how it was. She was very honest about her journey. She didn't try and hide her trauma. You know, there's a big movement, this spiritual bypassing where People that are in the public eye that are selling courses in spirituality that are teaching spirituality they feel like they've got to look shiny and new, that they've got to look like they've solved every problem they've ever had and they've got the answer to every problem they've ever had. I'm telling you now, that's rubbish because if that was true, you wouldn't be human. You know, we are foibled, we are challenged, we are not perfect. And what I found with her was that she enabled others to see her imperfection. And that's why she inspires me. Um, The other one is Caroline Mace for very much the same reason. She's very honest, very direct. Yeah, just real. And I love that. And she was a medium herself. She's a medical intuitive. So she could look in your body and tell you what was wrong with it. I can do that myself. Um, And she was the first person I read a book of who could do mediumship, who could do medical intuitiveness, who could do readings, uh, who could do healing? But she talked about it in terms of real world and with with um, uh, how can I put it? Is with 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 grounding. She wasn't wafting away around Glastonbury with a feather and a bit of smudge. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But to read a woman who had credibility and was respected by others, and she talks about her. And she does talk about her experiences with mediumship and medical intuitiveness. But if you read it, you know, this woman knows her stuff. She's not. Yeah, she she is amazing. Um, And the last person that I put on my list of influences is my guide, because he's been with me ever since I was a little girl. Like I said, he used to sit on the bed with me while I could hear my mum being hurt. And he's been with me ever since. And there's been times where I felt him, times where I haven't felt him. But he's always been there and he helps me every day and he makes me feel loved every day and supported and he helps me grow and, yeah, my my guide is my, yeah, he's just, he's my best thing apart from my family. Wow, equal to my family. Oh,
0: that's so special. (laughs) I've got goosebumps, my crown chakra's going off. It's just wonderful and I say to the listeners, I told you this lady is so, so special, and everything we've learned, it's the passion, the enthusiasm, the knowledge, the understanding comes through in everything you say to us. Thank you. That means so much to me. Thank you so much. It's just so, so special, and it is, and it's so lovely to see. Where you make the connection between the titles from the books and the influencers and where it combines, so you know that's just cementing what you've said even further. Yes, and it's actually that learning and it goes back to that knowledge, and the knowledge is power. And the more you go into it and to truly have that as an influencer and actually have that input, and know (laughs) it's and your guide, your guide just sounds
1: fantastic I'm so and it is something you said about having your mind changed I mean when you read Ka- Caroline's books she's if you come from a bit of a woo-woo place with healing if you come from a place of you know love and light and all that kind of stuff which is all fine and good she will change your mind about things and it will be in a good way because she'll make you realize how grounded this work really can be it's real energy medicine is real yeah and we need these figures in our lives that actually give it the credibility and the substance
0: yeah
1: and And everyone can use it it's not elitist you don't have to be spending thousands and thousands of pounds and no one's got the key or the secret by the way yeah they just don't yeah Oh, we all, all have the key we can all find our own truth within what spirituality and energy is to us and you find your own medicine you do not need to pay someone tens of thousands of pounds to understand who you are as a spiritual being yeah. if you can connect with your guides they will show you it's as simple as that
0: and everything you're saying is resonating it really really is it's just it's just wonderful. Um, yes, Conan.
1: the thing is, when we put people on pedestals, and this has happened a lot with spiritual figures, people like doing virtue, etc., where people have put them on such a massive pedestal and having the answers for everything, I would not want to be in that position. That would horrify me. What I would like is for you to be empowered enough to listen to your own intuition, for you to be strong enough and connected enough that you hear your own intuition and your call to call to action. That when you get that nudge. Whether it be a big nudge, a small nudge, that you are tuned in enough that you can trust that it's right for you right then. That's what I would want to do is empower you to trust your own inner light.
0: And that is yes, absolutely wonderful. And for the listeners, I told you this lady is so so special. Everything you share and it shows us that we're going in the right direction. And is you're just brilliant everything you do
1: is just oh, fantastic it's, it's lovely actually because I've never I haven't ever spoken like this in an interview never It's the first time I've ever done it but and you- I've actually really enjoyed it it's and, been good
0: and that's where I'm humbled that you feel safe in this environment but that shows the relationship you and I have Yeah, yeah
1: it's I- being held you know when anyone shares their stuff you just want to be held. You just want to know that that person's valuing your your story. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yes. yeah. I'm going to move on to the next question. Now, this one, this has thrown up so many different ideas. For people, <laughs> but this is the longest question, so I have to take a great big deep breath. Before <laughs> now, if you could share a great meal with anyone, alive or dead, what would the meal be and who would it be with
1: well I thought about this and I thought do I pick someone like Mary Magdalene or something like that but I have to be really honest with you it would be my nan and it would be shepherd's pie my nan had an allotment at the back of her garden that my granddad worked so she always had plenty of veg and I grew up loving vegetables which I still do and homegrown ones are the best She used to make the meanest shepherd's pie. It was lush. And I would just love that opportunity to sit with her and just see what she thinks of my life now. She died when I was 18. So she never got to see me grow into the woman that I am from the physical. I know she's around me. I feel her around me. But I would love to physically sit down and see her beautiful face and hear her beautiful voice and just hold her hand and know she's okay which I I know she's okay but you know just hear it from her point of view what it's like in spirit for her and to see what she thinks of my daughter and my life and my husband I like to think she'd be proud of me I'd like to think I, I don't think she'd quite believe it that I where I live and how my life is because it's so far removed from from our lives in London you know we weren't very rich. You know, we lived in a little room in my nan's house and, you know, my mum, we came from a council house. And for her to see me in Somerset in a great big four bedroom detached house in a village in the countryside with all the all the lovely choices and and the love that we have around us. She would be happy, I'm sure, but I think she would be taken aback too. Um, And yeah, I just I just love to pass the time with her and. It's a weird thing. I did my family tree when I couldn't see. Um, As you can imagine, once I'd done the posturing, you can't see. You can't go out on your own. I did get a little bit agoraphobic, so I was a bit scared to go out in case I fell or tripped or whatever. So I, I, I never went anywhere on my own ever at that time. So I started to do my family tree. My brother set my computer up so it would talk. And I started doing my family tree on Ancestry. And as I did my family tree and I found out more about my nan, I mean, my nan was only 63 when she passed. She was very young. And um, in my family tree, there's some phenomenal women and some strong women. And um, my nan would never talk about death. She thought it was morbid. You know, she just wouldn't talk about it at all. So consequently, she didn't really talk about the past either. And I, I did the family tree and I managed to find quite a lot of my, my nan's relatives. And I, they, weirdly enough, And I don't know if my nan knew where she was buried is a massive cemetery in London, in Richmond, um, in Surrey. And loads of her other family were there. Her sister was there that we didn't know. Her mum and dad were there. There was lots of them that died in the workhouse, which was more or less next to the graveyard that were in a a mass grave. Um, And my husband went with me that day. And again, I couldn't see very well. My husband went with me and bless his heart. He cleared off my nan's gravestone because being in London and us being down here, you know, we cleaned it off. We put flowers down and my husband made sure he put a flower on all of the graves that we found. And I would love to have sat down with my nan and just asked her about her family and what she knew and share the family tree with her. Because I think she would be absolutely fascinated by that. Yeah, so that's my person. It's not any great historical figure. It's not someone famous. It's just my lovely nan who taught me to be the best person I could be. She taught me to be kind. She taught me to love my family. She taught me to be honest. She taught me to be real. Yeah.
0: That is absolutely wonderful. And it reflects most of my guests. When I ask that question, it always comes down to family. There's normally a family member that they say, and normally it's a comfort food. And the fact that you've said shepherd's pie, that's got me... <laughs>
1: that Everyone's going to want a shepherd's pie tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but is, you've got to have cheese on top of it, though, uh, and yes, a bit
0: of sliced tomato. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. And, it is, it's, and it's one of those, it's completely nourishing, adds the comfort food, not just in the vitamins and minerals and what that food does, but it's nourishing of the soul as well, because it is that comfort food and brings back... It the- is. It's the
1: love that goes into making it and the love that went into making, growing the vegetables and the love that went into creating the whole thing. Yeah, And we do it, you know, we do it now for our daughter and we do it for each other. And I- meal time, we always sit at the table. We never, ever have dinner on our laps. We sit together every evening most mornings if we can but definitely every evening we have a meal together and we always have and it's something that's really important to us as a family
0: and it is yes. it's so so wonderful and it is it's there's whole families that have grown up with tv dinners that don't even have a table to sit around and that's where you connect it's like you said the end of the day you connect how has your day been And if someone needs a boost, you can see because you're interacting, you're not watching the screen, you're interacting with each other and you know when someone needs that extra nurturing to actually see.
1: Exactly. And take time over the food rather than it just being something you have to do. It's actually, uh, it's part
0: of your day. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just (laughs) so wonderful. And as well, something I I have to share because this is, I love cottage pie shepherd's pie so much I have to make double when I make it because I keep it. <laughs> and it goes quicker <laughs> but it is, it's just something I thought No, I'm just drawn to share that bit because it is, it is one of the most favorite things to make but it is it's right
1: when we meet up in person whenever that is I am making a shepherd's pie Definitely.
0: <laughs> definitely oh definitely that's absolutely wonderful wonderful now I can't believe the time has gone so quickly I've just loved it we've got down to the last two questions but I'm going to bring them together because this is this is where you tell everyone about Joe. now I've told everyone you are fantastic you're phenomenal <laughs> wonderful you are the most special person in my life and i think to the
1: listeners that's so kind
0: now the listeners have heard you they will realize and you will be a special person in their lives now can you tell us what services or items do you offer to your clients or customers and do you have any special offers or anything at present that people can grab I okay.
1: well i work with people like i said one-to-one and the things that i offer because i'm qualified in so many therapies i tend to uh, the reason that my business is called joe duckfield for the whole of you is because i've tried to make it so there's not an aspect of of what you need that i won't be qualified in that's not so i won't refer you if i do come across something but i've, I've tried to cover the whole of you so When I work with people, I use all of my different gifts. So I offer readings of mediumship. I also do guidance readings. If you need guidance in your life, at times when you need to have just a little bit of support. I do mentoring for people um, in all aspects, not just in business, but if people are going for a time in their life where there's change, I, I, I do mentoring. I also help with spiritual development. So I'm a mentor in that way to help you make your own connection. I teach different um, subjects. So I'm a CNHC registered and verified Reiki practitioner and Seiken practitioner. And so it means my teaching is all verified. So if you wanted to train in healing, for example, then I'm, I, I offer that. Um, I'm a hypnotherapist. I'm qualified as a psychotherapist and a counselor. Um, so you're kind of getting the picture. There's not much. I can't help you with, I'm qualified in sound healing, crystal healing, massage, well, you name it, I'm pro- angel healing, I'm qualified in it. And it's basically because, like we said earlier, the eternal student. So basically, I take you under my wing, we look at what you need, what you're hoping to change or what you want to enhance in your life, and I'll do my best within my abilities and my tools to support you, empower you, and help you reach the place that you're trying to get to. Equally, if you just wanted a mediumship reading, I'm happy to do that. But the the thing that happens is people come to me for a reading and then they just want to keep experiencing that energy. And people come for a reading and then they don't ever seem to leave. (laughs) I'm lucky with that. And I'm results-based, so I'm looking at achieving what you want to achieve out of it. And... On my Facebook page, so that's how you would work with me. If you went to my Facebook page, which is Joe Darfield for, for the whole of you, um, there's a lot of free meditations on there you can go and do, um, from meeting your spirit guide right up to reduce the anxiety, right up to meeting your future self. There's a YouTube channel with the same name, Joe Darfield for the whole of you, and I, I'm slowly uploading as many meditations as I can onto there. Um, there will be from October the very beginning of October there will be groups there will be courses, and there will be a deeper way of working with me i've decided to step back for the moment literally because I need to create these things so i 'm just stepping back from my work for the next couple of months to create and so i 'll be putting up a lot of free offerings on there that people can tune into, but other than that i won 't be working with clients until October and I normally have Um, obviously lockdown changes things considerably but I I'm lucky enough that I normally have quite a waiting list so if you do want to work with me you can contact me through the page but just understand that it might be a bit of a wait until I can can work with you which is hence why the courses and the content that I want to create so I can help more people like you've been teaching me help more people with my time so that I can reach more people easily um, this yeah and um,
0: i can testify to everything that joe says she's absolutely fantastic i am a completely different person because i've met you and connected
1: <gasps> don't to- say that oh my gosh i can't cope with it <laughs> it's,
0: it's just it's <laughs> brought me you've brought all those things that i was just awakening you've brought them out and are teaching me where I'm starting to connect with my spirit guides and
1: that makes me really really happy
0: it is you're just wonderful and to the listeners I told you so much information this lady has so much information to share I will in the description as I always do I will put the links to how to contact Jo with her Facebook page, with her YouTube channel, and everything, so that you know that you're following, and everything. And also make sure you subscribe to this podcast because this lady has said she's going to do regular um, interviews with me. Which means if you subscribe, you get that reminder, that little alert, as soon as I upload a new interview, a new episode to the podcast. So make sure that you're there. That narrative greed has been. It started everyone wants to know more so just make sure you're you're subscribed and everything and it is and i just want to say thank you Jack. I thank just,
1: you thank you it's, it's been really fun i don't know where the time's gone i just know it's the time it's ridiculous <laughs> but this is where i flies, when you're having fun babes
0: exactly and when you're in flow and there's so much when we're talking about it's absolutely brilliant so From me, from my listeners, from everything, I just want to say thank you. Oh,
1: thank you. you. And love to everybody listening. Take care. Bye, sweetheart.
0: Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Pearls of Wisdom podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the content shared. Please share with others who would like to enjoy these interviews and discussions. If you would like to support the podcast, please follow the link in the episode description. If you want to be a guest on the show, reach out and let's discuss next steps. Until the next time, enjoy your listening.